Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You guys were sort of in sync. Anyway, you're like in a boy band. That's right. Um, all right, so. We three, want it that way. Two, I take it that means that like, that they want it that way. I want it that way. Come on, Jaime. Tell me why oh. ain't nothing but a, <laughs> a heartache or mistake. Heartache. I, I'm not, I, I know enough to get the, the, the tune a little bit, but yeah, clearly yeah. not enough to know the real He's lyrics. He's got a lunchbox with it on, with the lyrics on the side. Don't listen to him. I was going to say, I'm calling El Paso. There's got to be a, a insane <laughs> lunchbox somewhere there. Yeah. He's got, the, he's got the hair. He probably had the blonde hair dye back when he was a kid. <laughs> I never had the frosted tips. No, no I never had the... Never no, had the you imagine that with the hair with frosted tips. <laughs> you got, um, it's not too late, Jaime. It's not too late. Guy Fieri with the frosted oh, tips. Oh, there you go. And there's yeah. frosted beard, anyway. too. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get on with the show. This is it. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 4, Episode 27. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am still in Toronto, Ontario, working from home. And I'm also joined by Jonathan Kuline, I assume working from home in Mississauga, Ontario. I'm still in the Cave of Wonders. Yes, I can't go anywhere. There's a lot of snow and it's cold. Lots of books to read. Really, yep. really cold. Also joined by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Home of the Kraken. That's, that's your lead in, Jaime. Uh... Did, didn't you get something from Carol? Oh, said it's not on the topic list. I'm like, leading <laughs> oh, 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 are we you're talking about this now? You don't have to have everything scripted, you know. Like <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Uh, yes, thanks to uh, to Tim and family for, for sending our family uh, a couple masks, one each for me and the, and the missus, and uh, a scarf, kerchief. What's the handkerchief? Scarf. Bandana. Bandana, thank you. That's the word I'm looking for, for our little doggo. So, all with the, the Kraken branding. I don't know if you... Ended up finding like a, a bolt of fabric or something that has that pattern. She did. She actually went and she she found, she um, told me she found someone, saw someone, whatever, and so she bought it and custom made them just for you. That's really cool. And I was wondering about this. I'm like, okay, obviously, you know, in my neck of the woods, they would clearly have the, the local team's bolts of, of fabric. But I was like, oh, I mean, I guess the NHL is so big in Canada and Toronto in particular. I think that... it was in a discount bin here in Toronto. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you even have it, cause there's like, you know, a bunch of other teams. Why would you have more than, you know, of course the Leafs and. Well, generally, um, yeah, the, generally the Leafs, and, teams. Leafs and Canadian would, would be the, the two that you would get here in Toronto. Um, you know, but like in Ottawa, you would get like the senators and 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, we know. I think generally speaking, if, it, if it's a licensed fabric, you can pretty much get just about any team you want, like you know, Raptors and that stuff, right? And she, she, Carol spends like a good third of her life in a fabric store. Jonathan can attest. And by you know? by association, I spent a good forty percent of my childhood in one. That's true. Reading or sitting on the curb, reading comic books, waiting for his to finish. Also, very much. If I had a jet bar and a copy of Iron Man, I was all good. Yeah, for sure. And he read it twice, waiting for her to come out. Oh, twice. I used to buy those. <laughs> I used to buy the the digests, the double digests, the Archies and the and the Richie Riches and stuff because they'd last longer. Uh, yeah, and, anyway, and yeah. also the reason why there's crack in fabric here, Jaime, is because uh, as as a lifelong Leaf fan, I can tell you that there's any at any given time in this area of Canada, there's at least fifty percent of the population thinking about trying to find a new team to support because of their deep, deep sadness and frustration. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And, and you, you know, the, the other side of the story is is that like I think I, I told Jaime that the masks were made early in November, right? And uh, I said, oh, we'll get some some spot cast stickers coming, you know, from the, the company, but why don't you just wait? And so she waited. And then of course, you know, then they were delayed and they delayed again, but it took like, they, they, they missed, they lost a shipment and they had to send replacements out. First they sent us the wrong ones, right? Then they sent out, sent us, uh, they lost a second shipment and the third shipment. There's the one that, one that stood up and that's what you're getting a lot, all this. Anyway, at which point you start trying to sing Jonathan. But anyway, um, but, but, but. And, then, and then, so this is like December, early December, and we discussed, you know, how long it would take to sort of get through the Christmas mail and stuff like that, right? And um, uh, they just arrived with, for Jaime, like, like today. It's like the 19th, 18th of uh, January. And I think you said the, the mail stamp on the envelope was like the 2nd of January? Yeah, it was like uh, January 5th, I think. If I looked yeah, at it there's, a, there's a black hole we call it Carol's car that going to. <laughs> <sometimes. laughs> Fell between the cushions. Anything, anything I get I mean, generally she's pretty, she's pretty good, but sometimes, you know, it's timey-wimey, you know? <laughs> we do, uh, we, we do also know that, you know, some countries are starting to quarantine mail too, so you never know. Oh, that may be, that may be the thing, yeah, that, that could be the case. I should, I didn't ask her actually when she sent it, but I, I do know she, it was delayed quite a bit, yeah. so. The, the Chinese yeah. government the other day uh, said that the reason why there is the, uh, the Omicron variant in China now is because of some mail that came from Canada. Oh, really? Yeah, I did see that. The Canadians were like, are you kidding? Yeah. Wow. Apparently, apparently that was our bad, they say. Every scientist who's seen it has laughed out loud. Anyway, let's get started with some fact check. Um, Last week we were talking about the voice of Nandi on the last last week episode, and uh, Jonathan had thought that, or read that Melissa. Yeah, Senor had set, had uh, voiced uh, Nandi, but in fact she voiced her when she was the old woman claiming to have the orphan children. But Greg Griffin uh, also voiced Nandy throughout the entire episode, the rest of the episode. She, she's also, um, I don't know how I ended up watching the uh, tail end of the Scooby-Doo live-action mix movie that they must have done at some point. Oh, yeah, the Scoob one? Uh, with the new voices, yeah, right? Yeah. So, yeah. and, um, yeah, you were right. So so she plays, um, what's the girl's name now? The character Daphne, right? No, not Daphne, the other one. Um, Velma. Velma, yeah, no, she no, she plays Daphne, the the the, she's the attractive one. Velma's the one with the glasses, right? I don't know, man. I always had it for Velma. I'm just saying, Velma's the black haired girl. Yeah, always the girl yeah, in glasses. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I I could see that. I could see that with you, Jonathan. Uh huh. 
Um, anyway, so are we talking so, like original? Because like they've no, no, no. We're talking, we're talking current, current later version. I mean, the the guy who does um, um, the blonde haired guy and Scooby is the same actor, and I forgot. Oh, his Fred, name. yeah, he's a, yeah. He's mm-hmm. an older dude. And, but you're right. the The guy who played uh, the guy from American Pie, the actor whose name is which one? Who plays Shaggy? Uh oh! You you said his name a couple of weeks ago. I thought I'm throwing to you because I, I, I you had it. Matthew Lillard played him in the movies, and he's from Scream and yeah, uh, that guy. Yeah, that guy from yeah. several other teen movies. But he's no, he wasn't an American. Yeah, body. well, whatever. But they're all the same to me. Like you. Know. <laughs> Well, you wonder why I didn't answer right away. I was wondering where you were going. Well, no, I, you should know. I mean, like, like when I watched Scooby-Doo, it was a different bunch of guys, right? And I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those pesky kids. <laughs> but, um, you know, no, it was, always a, it, was always, it was different actors, except for the guy who played Scooby. I didn't realize he was the same actor, or same voice actor, I should say, right? So, yeah. Anyway, that's enough. Enough about them. But anyway, Gray Griffin voices uh, one of the characters there. Yeah, it's a really, really tiny little part for somebody who is like a regular on SNL to be like, what, like three lines? Three lines in a Star Trek? That's that's kind of an odd play for most of ESNR, but... Well, it's interesting too because I wonder, like, did did um, Greg Griffin's old lady voice not work, or or maybe they did a like a last minute? Yeah. Oh, we got to make her sound more authentic, and uh, I don't know. Couldn't get couldn't get her back, maybe for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. You no, know? hard to say. Who knows? It's also is this no? This show isn't done in Toronto either, though, is it? Hmm. No, this would be animated probably overseas and directed out of Los Angeles. Yeah. Anyway, so you've got the uh, you've got the next piece in the fact check here. I do. Yeah, we were talking about the uh, the statue from Risa that we saw on the Ferengi ship last week, and none of us could pull the name of this this thing that uh, that Riker tells Picard to to pick up and display prominently when he goes to Risa for his <laughs> vacation. And so I looked it up on our uh, with our uh, good good supportive friends here at Memory Alpha, and it's called a Horgon. Horgon, and is Horgon. the uh, for fertility symbol on Risa and is the symbol of sexuality. And uh, if you display one publicly, it indicates that you are seeking Jamaharon, a mysterious and pleasurable practice native to the world. Uh, Record doesn't tell Picard that. No, of course. And then there leads leads to some misunderstandings, which are pretty damn funny. But uh, yes, so now we know. Lock that in your memory. Horgon. Right. Now the last piece here is I I found the link that I was talking about last week uh, about Chrysanthemum uh, from the book of Boba Fett, and there's an article here written uh, about why it's such a big deal. But we already talked about why it's a big deal. But uh, and this person had written this not knowing, maybe knowing, I don't know that that uh, Chrysanthemum was going to show up in more than one episode. And Jonathan's wish came true this weekend. Yeah, no, it's just great to see him back this week. We'll talk more about uh, book of Boba Fett in a bit. Yeah, so um, let's jump to the headlines with JPK up first. Yeah, so let's start with some Star Trek since, you know, here we are on a Star Trek pod. This week we got uh, a dump of information about when we're going to be seeing more Trek. And man, are we going to be seeing more Trek. So Paramount announced this week, Paramount Plus, that they are going to have uh, a fifth season renewal for Star Trek Discovery. And... Um, I guess that's not a surprise. I think we kind of didn't have any indication that they were going to wrap it up immediately. 
And they also confirmed that the return date for Star Trek Discovery, the second half of season four, will come on Thursday, February 10th. I think we mathed that out anyways, because basically it's Prodigy wraps and then Discovery comes back. And But we also know where that roller coaster is going to keep, keep taking us to, because at the end of Star Trek Discovery season four, season two of Star Trek Picard premieres on Thursday, March the 3rd on Paramount+. Plus and on uh, CTV Sci-Fi here in Canada. Whether you're international, I don't know what they're gonna do for you. I can't help you so far. Uh, and also Star Trek Strange New Worlds has been renewed for a second season even though it still has not come out, which is kind of interesting. So they must have really liked what they've seen so far from the uh, the first season that they've got probably most of it in the can. Uh, and we got a premiere date for that finally too. So Thursday, May 5th. So again, it sounds like more or less we're gonna go straight from Prodigy to Discovery to Picard straight into Strange New Worlds, and uh, as as Jaime as Jaime pointed out, stay tuned if you uh, if you're giving money to Paramount, you're going to keep giving money to Paramount for a while because there's going to be a lot of trek between now and uh, and June. Mm-hmm. So season four of Spotcast is going to go on for two years at least. It looks like, yes, right? yes, we will probably be doing uh, a 52 consecutive week season at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we break it, Picard or something like that. Right? Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see where it lines up. But uh, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's a lot of trek, and it's good. I mean, you know, we talk about that sort of the lulls of the coming and going of all these different shows, and uh, you know, the strategy is sound. You know, just keep giving people lots of trek. This is going to basically take you into the summertime, where hiatuses kind of make sense, anyways, because a lot of people have other things on the on the go. But it does say that Lower Decks will return summer of 2022. That's true. I did not mention that. Yes, the Lower Decks is uh, is coming back at some point in summer 2022. Although I think from last year it came at uh, came in second week of August, first week of August, somewhere in there. Yeah, it sounds about right. So I mean, if they take a hiatus that lasts from June till beginning of August, that gives people a little little summer break from their trek. We can go, you know. Outside, maybe see other people, possibly. Cool. Yeah. But in the meantime, track, 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 and track. Any surprises by any of this stuff? I mean, are you are you at all surprised that there's a fifth season of Discovery? That there's a second season of Strange New Worlds? No, not surprised by that. But I'm. But but it is interesting to sort of see that there's going to be like no end in sight, you know, until like summer, as far as we know, right? So just track, 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 track. Yeah. yeah, I think for me the the. Well, let me walk through them. I think um, Discovery was not a surprise because I think it feels like there definitely could be a season five. Um, this does address the uh, the internet and mostly Reddit concerns of like, hey, normally by this point it's been renewed for another season. How come it hasn't yet? And people say, whoa, 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 they've got the like big press announcement stuff that's coming out soon. So just you know, hold it. And apparently that was right. You know, it's it's renewed for a fifth. No, no surprise there. Season two of Picard, uh, we knew that they were going to have that third season that they were like shooting them back to back or something. So that makes sense. Strange New Worlds is the one that really sticks out to me as interesting that they renewed for a second season ahead of the first season debut. Um, I don't know if that's like a cost savings thing. I mean, they already built the Enterprise set for, uh, for was it season two of Discovery? Yep. So clearly a cost savings there. I don't know if there's other stuff. Where it's a little bit different than like lower decks where the animation is so expensive they just went ahead and, you know, pre approved the first two seasons of um of lower decks. So 
doing the same for another two more kind of makes sense just given the production costs. They're kind of inherent to what they do. Um, interesting that Prodigy is still stuck with the weirdo one season. I would have liked to have seen that one get renewed for a second season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's split so far because it says the additional 10 episode long second half will be available later in 2022. So they're clearly going to use it to fill another gap somewhere <laughs> is what it seems like. Um, but interesting that they didn't renew that one for another season, especially given that, like, you know, I think Arthur from PBS just ended. Here we are 25 years later, I think. <laughs> that so like there's no reason that prodigy couldn't keep going on forever like kids shows they just make new stuff all the time so i think it's all in all good news i'm kind of nitpicking into the you know what do i think about this it's kind of interesting to see for for prodigy in particular and uh brave new worlds strange you know how there's people who've never seen star wars before that one you've heard about this right do you mean the original or do you mean any any, any star wars and and i know people who've never seen any star wars well i've never seen an episode of arthur yeah, if it's 25 <laughs> years, which is what the nightly news said that it is coming to an end, at, I think today, as of today, 25 years, um, I would have been around 15, I guess, when that debuted. So I'm only tangentially aware of Arthur from like younger cousins watching it on PBS mm-hmm. or something. I'm mm-hmm. not familiar with the property that myself. That little yellow dude got or sort of like a... He looks like a bear pig or something i don't he's, he's an aardvark yeah, i guess maybe maybe <laughs> uh yeah. yeah strangely i had kids over the last uh number of years and and i never saw it either so maybe it just wasn't as popular up here i, I don't know but that one completely missed us too yeah maybe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was eclipsed by the cars <laughs> yeah that's true we were too busy watching cars for the 250th time yeah you gotta turn left to go right uh, right to go left right to go left Yes, Siri Bob. Um, what's what's uh, what else is happening out there in TV land? I mean, you know, this is actually pretty good time because I, I'm surprised you all didn't go into the uh, the thing that I've said is a good problem for then CBS All Access now Paramount Plus to have that you'd ask like you know if they keep coming out with stuff every month you're going to continue paying indefinitely. I'm like, uh, sure. I mean, if if they can make enough content for me to want to pay my $6 US every month. I mean, that's a fair challenge, right? And they, they did interesting things of like, well, what if it gave you short tricks? <laughs> Give you like 15 minutes of content <laughs> once a month <laughs> to squeeze out your, your subscriptions. All right. And then now they've got enough of a pipeline and enough shows where, you know, realistically we can have nonstop Trek for the next couple of years, right? We, we, we know this yeah. on, the, on the surface of what we just said. So interestingly enough... <laughs> The uh, the fine friends over at Netflix have encountered some interesting troubles when it comes to subscriber growth. And, you know, some of that, I think, is probably post-pandemic surge as well as, or lack thereof of surge, as well as increased competition from the likes of Disney+, Plus, Hulu, HBO Max, Paramount+, Plus, Amazon, etc. So Netflix has decided to go with the ARPU, which is Average Revenue Per User metric and has decided to raise prices on all plans in the u.s and i believe canada as well although this yeah, article canada yeah it does say uh, in canada in the article yeah so one to two dollars a month i think depending on the tier so your your basic from uh, 9.99 sorry this is backwards from 8.99 
up to $9.99, your standard, which includes HD and two screens uh, simultaneously streaming, goes from $13.99 to $15.49. And the premium tier, which has 4K and up to four simultaneous streams, goes from $17.99 to a full extra two bucks at $19.99 US. So they're getting into that territory of like, you know, you, you kind of assume that Netflix is like electricity. Every modern house has it. Yeah. Kind of wonder if that will continue to be true as all these other services start building up um, bits of content. I mean, I've seen. That means the government of Ontario is going to subsidize our Netflix subscription at some point, <laughs> like they do with hydro and heat and gas. Well, and imagine what they could possibly do with this revenue source by raising the prices if they actually build everybody who has it and everybody didn't just share it around with everybody else. Because they were talking about cracking down hard on that and they never really did. Like, I mean, I, mm-hmm, I still talk mm-hmm. to lots of people who are like, I'm using my parents and I'm using blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it still seems like that practice has been going strong since the inception of the the online streaming version of, of Netflix. I, I yeah. thought they were going to start weeding that out and trying to collect more money off the people who were, were piggybacking. But, uh, you know, I, I, as an IT person, I can tell you that's probably a major headache to try and chase that that little that that you know that angle. I mean, like it's probably they probably have I don't know maybe thirty percent of their their potential subscribers you know doing this kind of thing. Mm. Um, there's probably a math and a calculus at some point they just do. It's just it's like trying to fight spam. There's just no point, you know. There's only there's only so much so much bashing you can do, right? I guess, but then we're also talking about tens of millions of dollars of lost revenue each month, so I guess you have to weigh that. That's true. Same thing with spam. Spam costs a lot of money to 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 deal with. I mean, like like I like I said, I you know I've run mail servers in the past. Just as for example, ninety eight percent of the mail coming into a mail server is spam. Mm. So you know, like like where's where's the where's the cost savings? You can't can't turn around and charge people like you know an arm and a leg for email hosting because of spam right yeah just i think i think um share i mean like what are they going to do like how are they going to police it how are they going to enforce it i mean look at those those letters we used to get from game of thrones you know like they're comical really yeah did they ever take anybody to court over that uh it's possible but i know they did over like bootleg discs and you know napster kind of activities but they never it's just i think it's just too rampant yeah you know yeah no, it's you know. uh, it's it's a hard war to wage, but but the problem also is that those of us who are paying are going to continue paying more because there are people who aren't paying, right? True. Yeah. yeah. But I got to admit to to your point, Jaime. I I ended up seeing that announcement earlier this week and thinking to myself, hmm, maybe not yet, but maybe maybe I could I could live without Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, there's there's, yeah, it's, there's good content on there, but it's not. At this point, there's nothing on there right this second that I can't live without. And of the anticipated things that I know of that they're bringing, the only one that sort of like keeps me intrigued is I'd like to see what happens in Stranger Things. But Mm -hmm. I could drop it for six months or eight months or however long it's going to be till that comes back and then get it for a month and bitch. I, I might go to the Lopez calculus on this. Yeah, see, the same with me. Like, like the thing is that, like, if I think, if you, you ask me what I spend my time on, you know, I watch just about everything that Apple puts out, but they're not nearly as prolific as, say, Disney, right? I spend more time in Disney and Crave than anything else. I mean, I, I go to Netflix, I, I go, oh, yeah, I better go check Netflix, see, see if there's something in there. I have admittedly watched a couple of things recently, like a couple of movies that I wanted to catch up on. 
Uh, like the Sparks, the Sparks movie film that came out, you know, the Sparks Brothers. And as soon as that, as soon as I saw that was on the thing, I just stopped what I was doing and watched that, right? Uh, Edgar Wright movie that, and I was a Sparks fan when I was a kid. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like, but like Netflix, I, 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 I remember that I have a Netflix subscription every now and then and go and check stuff out, right? Oh, I, I am catching up on the Daredevil stuff right now. But yeah, you're right. For me, I could, I could go in once every six months and catch up and then get back out again, right? Yep. Which is a strange realization, especially when you think about the landscape and just sort of, as, as you say, it's, it was so totally ubiquitous. Everybody has it. Everybody, again, we did our, our Spocky Awards. Everybody's watched something on Netflix this year. It's, the go-to streaming service, but maybe it won't always be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they started out as a, as a disc a service. Yep. I don't know if, if I mean, it was that way, too. Yep. But, like, you know, here we had Blockbuster Video, and we had Jumbo Video, and you used to go there, and that's where you got your movies, right? You know? Uh, and then when Netflix came out with this, with the model where they would send you the discs to your house and you kept them, you know, for however long and you just return them like a library card, that made, that was a great model, right? And then when they went to online, it was, you know, I think great from that point of view. I think they probably went to, they probably were late to getting that all, all across North America. So I know that in, there are some states where internet wasn't really a, a huge thing, you know, and, and to this day, I think some places just don't have good bandwidth, right? Um... You know, and I'm sure it is like that in, in northern Canada as well. But the, you know, like it became, it, it, they became, their ubiquity came out of the, the disc rental service that they started, right? That's how they started their, their whole business, right? But the thing about Netflix was when it was that, they had an immense catalog of stuff that you could get. Yeah. Yeah. And then them, when yeah. Netflix first moved into streaming, they just quickly started buying up all the back catalog material from other places that didn't have streaming services at that point. So they had just this wealth of content that you could get into. And it was an amazing deal for the price you were paying for it to get that much content for that price. As time has gone by and the services have started to fragment and the landscape has changed, again, there's still lots of quality films on Netflix but I don't think it's quite the one-stop shop that it was five no. years ago, where now it's kind of, it's it's kind of the BlackBerry of streaming. You know, you think about it, like like BlackBerry was the 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 phone to go to for a long, long time, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, it kind of got uh, eaten up by Android and iOS. You know, mm -hmm. so well, and especially and the Disney... there will come a time where the contracts will end with you know places like Disney and others, and you know, Netflix will start to get outbid on things more and more, and you know. There, well, I mean, this, this there is, is a, a question like to the one, end. Yeah, so like I was going to ask Jaime about his his comment earlier that like like are you thinking? Are, it, did you read anywhere that this the reason for the price increase was not because of because of declining revenues from competition? It's it it's so complicated. If you look at their stock and their quarterly results, like it's problematic because Netflix missed on its own estimates. I don't recall if that was on revenue or subscriber growth. Um, uh, but the the challenge, given as we're sitting here in January of 2022, is you know Netflix and all these other streaming services had these huge bumps during the lockdowns. You know, early on, this, the Tiger King era of uh, of the internet, where like literally everybody, it seems, <laughs> uh, literally metaphorically, everybody saw this uh, series. And that's great, but it's such a weird, unnatural boost to your subscriber numbers and viewer numbers that it kind of makes it hard to have sort of go back to normality. Is yes, we're not past the pandemic as we sit here, but 
it's opened up more than locked down can't go out at all right um so there's sort of less opportunity for people to watch on top of over the last couple years the let's see two years ago we had what this we were in the second season of discovery and it was the only star trek show right two years ago because yep. Picard mm-hmm. is a year old, Laura Dex is a year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not much there, competition-wise, out of then CBS All Access. HBO Max, if it existed, it was just getting off the ground. Um, Disney Plus, I think good backlog, handful of shows, but not not much. I think you know, two years ago, they would have had like beginnings of Mandalorian, probably. So here we are with these back catalogs being built up for all of these different services. And I didn't even include Apple TV plus, which has clearly been building up in the meantime as well. Right. So you have all of these things that are just making it challenging to, to sit at the top of the heap as Netflix has done for so long, where, um, you know, we were talking about it being kind of like having electricity, but realistically, if people get kind of grumpy of like, mm, do I really need to pay 1549 this month? Eh, it's, Lots of stuff to watch, but nothing I have to watch now. I'll just cancel it for this month and turn it on two months from now or whenever it is that Stranger Things comes out, right? Um, uh, because it's so easy. It's not like, oh, calling the cable company and having them, you know, keep you on the phone for 45 minutes and all you want to do is cancel. No, it's like going to the app, cancel, done. And then when you want it, you go right back in, whether you're, you know, in bed you're on the bus, you're sitting there on the toilet, and you stop paying, playing uh, Wordle for a while, and you decide to say, oh, I'll turn that Netflix back on. Okay, cool. Like, it's so easy to do that I, I think that's the danger for them of, like, how is the market going to react to them, um, the stock market that is, react to them not being the, you know, number one with the bullet sort of thing. of be like, no, now you truly are competing with everybody else, and, and, and what you got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I was going to make a point too when we were talking earlier about the the, the Star Trek galore, as it says here on the, the show notes. Um, the center seat show, which, which I've been watching, I um, just saw the last episode was about Enterprise and the making of that show. And but uh, one sort of theme that runs through the um, the show center seat, and, and we've talked about this before, is UPN and how UPN was a network that was stood up and, you know, their big cash cow was Voyager and Deep Space Nine, right? And they do talk about some of the struggles they had, you know, near the ending of those two because, you know, they started off with DS9 and it did really well and then they they kicked into, uh, they decided to have a second show at the same time with Voyager and... um, I think that that network struggled. It went away and before, I mean, um, Voyager came to t- regular TV, if I'm not mistaken, before, um, because UPN was, was not making money, right? Is that not correct? You guys remember the story about UPN? They, yeah, I believe they merged with the CW. I think that's that's right. yeah. what, what mm-hmm. befell them but, eventually. Yeah, so the, the so the the network did struggle, and and it's interesting because the people who talk about the the people that they go to to talk about the shows are some of the high executives at that were at the time were um, founders of of and founders and early you know CEOs and that kind of stuff of UPN who now are you know with CBS All Access and so on and so forth, right? It's really interesting. I'm not just about Star Trek, but also about the making of it, and and also like it's funny that you know every time I see the now when I see this, you know, oh, it's based on Gene Roddenberry's, you know, Star Trek thing, right? Um, he, like, I think around the middle of Star Trek, uh, the next generation, he was kind of removed because 
of some of his his um, machinations, right? And um, you know, it, the corporations kind of took over. I think by the time Voyager came out, he wasn't really really involved at all, right? So even though we still talk about it being Gene Roddenberry's creation and and whatever, and you know, I, I know his son's involved in it somehow, but. And Majel Barrett, his wife, was in everything, right? Like, she was a computer, she played, you know, like Luxon Troy. Um, but interesting to sort of see how that happens. But but bringing it back to this Netflix thing is that this, you know, UPN kind of didn't survive uh, its sort of business model. Like, and it was competing with the regular networks as well, right? And that, But now you look at it, like you said, CW, there's like Fox, there's all kinds of other networks out there now that that are making a go of it you know i think that was probably on on the backs of stations like uh you know the movie network cnn and and um upn right yeah yeah it's gonna be uh gonna be interesting to see how this plays out over the course of time the, the holy roman empire fell netflix could too but the concrete lasted <laughs> is netflix now the highest cost subscription service yes well, there may well be of the 200 services, there may be a specific one that caters to a specific need that is higher. But of the most popular sort of top five, they are. I mean, like Apple's what? How much is Apple? It's, well, I mean, I just paid $40. $6, $6 Canadian, Canadian a month, maybe yeah. five, five US, maybe. And then and Disney is nine or something. Something like that, yeah. Amazon's rolled into, like, I think I pay $80 a year or something like that for my Amazon Prime. So that's kind of rolled in there. That's a, quite a low low cost considering. Yeah. Crave is 20 bucks a month for the one with all the HBO and that stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, that's arguably expensive. But when you factor in that it's not just HBO, it's also HBO plus a, a ton of other content from Canadian uh, acquisitions otherwise, plus original yeah, content. Yeah. It's, yeah. But yeah, uh, so I think it's going to be $21 or $22 for Netflix here in Canada for the top tier package. So, Wow. Which one do you have? Uh, I have the top tier package. It's the only Same. way you can get the 4K, right? <laughs> you need that to get the, the, the 4K package. Oh, because it says here on, on the, the chart that Jaime has, I thought the second tier gave you 4K. No, if it, oh, no, HD. Oh, no, I see. No, okay, it's, right, it's HD. Right. So basic gives you standard definition yeah hd besides number stream to hd is the middle tier that's what i have and then 4k right. is the highest tier so depending how you look at it hbo max is 14.99 so for me being on the middle tier of netflix netflix will be more expensive by 49 cents um obviously if the netflix ceo is here he'd be like well you know that's different than our basic tier which is only x and then hbo would be like well wait a minute their most expensive one is 19 and they just point fingers at each other realistically it's 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 up there right it's it's number one or number two yeah wow and if you didn't have 4k you'd have to leave home right john i don't think i could live with number one fan if i didn't have 4k so <laughs> there's that <laughs> he'd be an insufferable pain in the ass is what he'd be <laughs> All right, let's jump on to the next thing, which is uh, we did get some news here in Ontario today that the provincial... Speaking of insufferable pains in the asses, Yeah, right? well, yeah. Our premier announced today, that's governor for you Americans, that uh, we are going to be uh, slowly opening businesses back up and lifting restrictions uh, in the wake of the... Uh, well, we still haven't hit the peak of Omicron here in Ontario, uh, and, I, and I say that having spoken to a... Uh, um, epidemiologist this morning. Uh, but 
Irrespective of that, on January 31st, 2022, we are going to start seeing those restrictions starting to lift, including the restrictions on movie theaters. So they will be allowed Mm -hmm. to reopen at 50% capacity starting on January 31st. So if there was some movie you wanted to see and you were feeling particularly daring or you perhaps had already battled through the Omicron uh, variant, uh, <laughs> like some people we know, uh, then you could trot yourself to the to the movies and enjoy yourself. They haven't said anything specific. I haven't seen anything written down uh, today about... Uh, lifting restrictions on food orders or any of that kind of stuff. I would imagine that that will continue, but they do, they did lift the, or set the date for the first set of restriction lifting, and then they set up ones for a second and third lifting over the course of February and uh, March, eventually leading back to a more sort of, um, you know, pre Omicron status, which allowed for full people to go to the theater, full people to eat at the theater, yada, 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 yada. So, Movies are back, if you so dare. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know. I just, I, I kind of, I, I doubt the science, <laughs> you know, of this. But, you know, what can I say? There are a lot of uh, sports that have attendees in the 50 range. Concerts and other things like that. That strikes me as like a weird number for something other than like, this is the bake sale for our local elementary school or something. It's like in the States, like, you know, all the American, when you watch the NHL games on in the States, it's like there's, like, no COVID at all. Like, it's just wide open, right? Whereas in Canada, you know, the, the Maple Leafs and the, the, the Montreal Canadiens have no no fans in the stands, yeah. right? And I don't know about the other teams in Canada, but I assume it's the same thing, right? Um, it's it's almost like south of the border. It's, like you said, it's a, it's a party right yeah but and, i guess and I'm also- so it's a weird for, i'm picking most specifically at the number where the u.s largely went from uh no fans to like ten thousand in the stands to oh covid's over kind of in like full capacity 50 is so close to zero that it, it might as well be zero is what i'm kind of <laughs> yeah confused yeah. about when you consider like a, some of our megaplexes that have like tw- 10 theaters in it, um, you know, like, like Jonathan, and I've gone to like, there's a big one near him and you know, it's got the big IMAX, it's got the big IMAX and a couple of you know, IMAX and a UVX screen or something. Yeah. Ultra like, AVX. Right? Yeah. Ultra AVX. Yeah. And they're, they're, those, those screens are generally busy. And then there's a whole wing of, of smaller theaters or smaller screening rooms that just seem to be a ghost town at that place. Yeah. Right. Um, and the same thing was when I went down to the uh, the uh, Scotiabank Plaza or Scotiabank Theater down here in Toronto, you know, um, some of the bigger theaters were, were full and, and there weren't like the masses of people milling around, you know, kind of thing. Right. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of strange to. And, and, and then you've got the other side of the coin where in the UK, they've they've determined that you, you don't need to wear a mask anymore, like just because Boris Johnson says so. Right. And he's obviously, a, you know, a medical marvel himself, right? Because, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I just, I, I just don't get it. I don't understand how, how people can just flip on a, 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 flip a switch and say, okay, COVID's over, right? Because it isn't, in my opinion. Agreed. Well, from that, let's spin into something a little happier. We got our first teaser trailer for Moon Knight this week. And we also got an official release date for the Disney Plus series. 
starring Oscar Isaacs which, uh, and Ethan Hawke, which is coming on March 30th. Uh, it was a teaser that they dropped during the Monday night NFL playoff game and then immediately chucked up on all the socials. It's been watched like crazy. Uh, I assume you two gentlemen have had a chance to see this now? Yeah, I, was, I think I saw it when it came out initially. But this is the one that they had the tr- the, the trailer for the trailer. They did. They had a, a trailer for trailer. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. There's another one of those coming up in the next story. But uh, yeah, what do you think? What uh, what are your impressions of, of Moon Knight? I'm curious. Uh, I, I I would imagine you uh, you Tim have no history with Moon Knight. I don't know Jaime if you've ever been a Moon Knight comic fan. I'm not really familiar with the character. I'm, I'm aware of the character, but if you sat down and asked me. Anything other than, you know, draw what the character vaguely looks like in the color scheme, I would not have been able to tell you any of the, the powers or backstory or, or basic conflict. So I'm coming into this pretty, pretty, pretty uh, ignorant of the character, although this does look exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, if I, if I had to go just on this, on this trailer, it does look like an interesting movie. Probably more interesting than, than Eternal's trailer did. Yep. You know, I really wasn't, you know, knocked off my knocked off about that. But I mean, like, it does sort of have. A, I mean, the trailer is good. The the way they pace it, how they they kind of sort of reveal the story a little bit, you know, without hopefully giving too much away. It does seem like something that I might be interested in watching. So, hey, whether I go to a theater or not is another. Oh, it's story, not a theater. But... This is a Disney Plus series. Oh, so oh, it's a series. Yeah, yeah. This is the yeah, this is the okay, next yeah. Disney Plus series coming uh, in, in March. Yeah. It's funny, you know, I'll talk about this a bit later, but uh, there's a couple of shows that I thought were were movies that I thought, oh, I'll sit down and watch this. And it turned out that uh, they turned out to be series instead of a movie. Like, I just thought they were movies. But, yeah, it's interesting to I probably would watch this if it's on Disney for sure. Yeah, it uh, it's uh, I thought there was a very effective trailer in that they give you a taste of the sort of the mystery of it. And sort of the the madness of it without taking you too far down the road. Like you, you get a sense from that trailer, okay, this person's got some mental health problems and clearly somehow that is going to be tied to his identity, his super identity. And then you get the whole, you know, oh, why are you calling me Mark? You know, my name's not Mark. So there's this sort of immediate, you know, uh, curiosity hook that grabs you and sort of says, well, why, why does he not think he's Mark if somebody else thinks he's Mark? And yeah, so I think they do an effective job of, of really sort of setting the stakes for what could be an interesting little, little twisting, turning kind of storyline of, of, um, you know, Mark Spector is a, is a very troubled character in the, in the comic books with a lot of complexity to him. And I think they're going to do a good job of capturing that. And I think Oscar Isaacs is a great actor and I think he's going to do a good job of delivering that too. And then tying to that, that uh, Ethan Hawke's in it and I'm, I'm a big Ethan Hawke fan. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this all gets realized. Uh, and I must admit Moon Knight is a series. So I, I have read and do own uh, um, a number of Moon Knight comics. I have read Moon Knight a number of times over the years. I have no clue which sort of, uh, if they're adapting any existing storyline, which one they're going to do, if they're just going to do sort of the broad strokes from his stories and then do something original. So I'm kind of coming into this probably of all the things they've done so far, probably the freshest, which is kind of exciting for me because sometimes it is a little bit you know, prescriptive to know where some of these things are going. Obviously, you know, uh, 
some of these are based on stories that have been around for 40, 50, 60 years. Again, the whole, you know, we talked about that during the Hawkeye stuff that, you know, uh, Jack, the, the swordsman, you know, swordsman appeared in like Avengers number 19 in 1964. Like, I mean, you know. Spoilers, kids, that character's been around for 60 years. Like, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm looking forward to finally a series where maybe there's a little bit more of a of a something fresh, something new, a twist I don't see. And I've seen on the comic book side, uh, as, a, as an active uh, reader and collector, I've seen the market for certain books that are more modern from the Moon Knight runs that are starting to really climb up in value and people speculating, oh, well, this character from this series is going to be in it. This character from this series is going to be, oh, well, if they do a second series, they're definitely going to need this character. So some of his uh, nemeses, some of his friends and all that kind of stuff those books are starting to go up so i'm hoping that it's yeah that's something that's just sort of fresh and new on the flip side of the good news we got from moon knight we got some bad news from moon knight the other day so we got news uh this week that gaspar Uliel, who was uh is going to be appearing in the moon knight series was killed in a skiing accident uh this week in france he is a frenchman uh french actor and he was going to be playing the part of midnight man in uh, well still is i assume going to play the part of midnight man in the moon knight series and uh yeah he was just 37 years old apparently he grew up in the in the french alps was a huge fan of uh skiing it was one of the most important parts of his life and uh yeah and he he died unfortunately uh doing something he loved this week but uh yeah so kind of weird um unfortunate tragic uh you know as his he was getting this really big role on this major platform he uh he was unfortunately passed on i don't think I quite caught because again because I'm not familiar with the series. Which character uh, is he in the show? He'll be playing Midnight Man, which is who I don't. Is there a TLDR without getting too spoilery? I, um... Not really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll wait it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would probably be better if we don't go too far down that road. But it sounds like an important character. Um, that's that's a key part of the mythos. Yep. Okay, got it. Yep. So I don't know how integrated in this plot line his character is. Like that part is really unclear. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, if they do like a tribute to him or something in one of these episodes, or, or how, sort of how they deal with this this very unexpected tragedy. Wow, that's that's pretty that's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's try and shake off this sadness and move on to a trailer for a trailer for a movie. No, a trailer for a trailer for a TV show. So there was a trailer drop on Amazon Prime this week, which made me laugh so hard. It was a trailer to promote the name of the new Lord of the Rings series. And man, they drew it out. It was so drawn out. It was so, you know, oh, the one ring to rule them all. And and the whole mm -hmm. thing with the fire and the Mount Doom and the whole... All to tell us the name of the series that is still not coming for another nine months. Cool. So, Lord of the Rings colon Rings of Power, which is going to apparently uh, be told in that era in which the... Rings of power are given to the different groups of Middle Earth. 
dropped. Anybody get excited to buy this trailer for a name? I mean, at a minute long, it's a little long for a name where it's like, well, this this could have been a still picture that I saw on Twitter, right? Like, I understand what they tried to do of like, let's use, um, and I looked this up on Wikipedia, the rhyme of the rings to give you something to look at. And, you know, while they're, they've got the gold that's forming the one ring. So at least we know from that sort of basic setup that the uh, the rings of power presumably covers um, the 20 rings, which if you're counting at home, it's uh, the one ring that Sauron has. You have the three rings given to the elves, uh, which I think we know a fair amount about because they did show up in, um, I think, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. We don't know much about the seven rings given to the dwarf lords. And other than the fact that the Nazgul had the nine rings we don't know that much about the nine rings for mortal men doomed to die so yeah it's it uh, I, I, like if i was sitting in the meeting where they discussed this idea i'm like all right I, I get what you're going for i don't know that it was that effective as a as a <laughs> teaser for a title <laughs> but yeah <laughs> but uh okay i mean cool i i y- you get a uh you know perfect attendance star for that when you don't really get you know someone in a marketing meeting a few months back was really excited about this idea i'm just putting that out there someone was like this is great and somebody else in that room was like yeah we're doing it and they were really excited about the idea of a trailer for a name like maybe a press release maybe throw it up on your twitter feed let's just move on with our lives yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the still, the still they could have really cashed it. They really could have could have really cashed in and done like one movie about each ring, you know. <laughs> don't give <laughs> them 20... any ideas, Tim. Man, at one yeah. episode per, you, yeah, you've got twenty episodes right there. That's that's two <laughs> streaming seasons of uh, of ten episodes each. That that makes sense. Yeah, got to collect them all. I, yep. I guess. I guess. All right. Next up, we have a two-prong story. So earlier this week, we got the first bit of an interview with Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon sat down with New York Magazine and spoke to them about the controversy that has uh, sullied his name over the last couple of years, talking about the, uh, the, the he was accused of, of mistreating actors and creating a toxic workplace. He was accused of this behavior by Ray Fisher, who played uh, Cyborg on the Justice League movie. He was accused of it by Gal Gadot. He was accused of it by... Uh, former Buffy the Vampire Slayer actress Chris the Carpenter they all said that he uh, he really had um, you know treated them all quite unprofessionally so he does this interview where he sort of basically case by case tries to talk about well actually it was a misunderstanding and well yes I, I could have handled this better but I didn't and you know talked about all these sort of different things and I must admit, and this is just my perspective, that I, I wasn't really, you know, I, I, I think Joss is an incredibly talented uh, filmmaker, creator, everything else, but did not really, this this seemed like, a, a, you know, a PR, a PR career attempt to salvage his career, try and turn the tide away from his, um, his cancellation. Negative press. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. And, and I didn't really buy a lot of what he's saying here it just seemed like a 
a poorly executed attempt at damage control. Uh, we did get responses immediately from Ray Fisher, who uh, he wouldn't. Uh, I'm reading from an Entertainment Weekly article. He did not respond to EW's request, but he posted on Twitter, "Looks like Joss Whedon got to direct an Endgame after all," uh, which is a little harsh, um, but probably fair. We also got. Um, a response from Gal Gadot, who said that, uh, you know, Whedon had said that there was a, just a miscommunication that that uh, Gal's first language is Hebrew and she didn't necessarily understand uh, oh, really? what, what, <laughs> what he was trying to say. He was just being quirky. And she she responded uh, in the New York or a magazine article. I understood perfectly. So. Yeah. Um, and then there was a follow-up article from a couple days later where Charisma Carpenter finally broke her silence on this article and said that, um, yeah, you know, hashtag I stand with Ray Fisher, the malevolence force and bad actor in both senses who poisoned my feeble mind with trendy buzzwords and corrupt ideas about my experiences with a former tyrannical narcissist boss who is still unable to be accountable and just apologize. So... It does not uh, yeah. seem like anyone is taking this as an apology or an earnest sense of remorse or accountability for what he's been accused of. I don't know if this is going to be in any way a chance for him to start that reparation. And I'm really I'm really conflicted about it. Again, you know, he did have a reputation for a very long time as, you know, the the showrunner for for things like Buffy and, and Angel and stuff like that of, you know, being an ally of putting, you know, women, you know, in front of the, you know, top of the cast list and really trying to do those things for which I I felt, you know, very pleased with what he was doing. He was creating all these strong female characters. He was telling, you know, very, you know, strong female stories and helping them, you know, being brought to light. And, you know, he's created things that I love. I, you know, I love Firefly. I liked, you know, I loved Buffy and Angel and, and some of these other things. Again, directed the original Avengers movie, you know, like he's done very valuable things to me in my pop cultural experience. That does not forgive the kind of behavior he's accused of, and I don't think that this is going to do a great deal to repair that. Maybe this is the first step of a long game of trying to sort of pull himself out from this, but it's it's not a great start. And I keep thinking, like, I don't know if he should just go away and we should just try to, you know, separate the art from the artists like we've talked about before. Or I don't know if this is one of those things where I I want him to be rehabilitated so that maybe he can do more of the things that were great before. But then I don't know if he deserves that second chance. I, I don't know. What do, you, what do you guys think of all this? I yeah I think it's tough I mean especially this is one of the one of the the downfalls of of the kind of culture we live in today where you know so much is known about so many people so quickly you know and and so widely um you know I I'm sure that you know in the days of yore in in Hollywood you know we all we've all heard the stories you know like everybody thought Miramax was a great company and Weinstein was a great company and and but then you find out, you know, when when but that was when in the before time, before you sort of had, you know, the Twitters and the and the Facebooks and the Instagrams to sort of for for individuals to have voices, right? And to be able to say, Well, hang on a second, he wasn't that great, you know? Mm -hmm. Um so you know, it, it it's I think it's I think it's unfortunately a, a part of our time. You, I mean and I'm not. I don't. I'm not saying that to, to excuse his behavior at all. Because I mean, I'm. I'm really conflicted with. You know. With. You know. I don't even know what he did. And, and I, I just need to know. I just need to hear from. You know. Like. 
not even knowing what 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 he's accused of but but if it, if it was one person okay well maybe there's something there's something to be said there maybe there's an apology needs to be made or whatever but when you talk about like buffy was so long ago right like um you know and and uh to have you know people you know respectable people who are doing quite well like gal gadot and and ray fisher you know, have them come out and say the, say you know the similar things. Not not like they got together and said, "Hey, let's do this." You know, um, what what do they have to gain or lose by by coming out and and being honest about it? Other than other than empowering other people to come forward, right? Um, so it's hard to it's hard to say. What do you do? Like maybe maybe this is the thing. Maybe you maybe you do have to step back and stop being the name on the on the tin. And become the producer or the silent money or the, you know, the influencer or, or maybe the only way to survive this kind of thing is to step back and, and, and do that. I mean, I've often said like, you know, in businesses where, you know, I've worked for companies where owners and stuff like that have stuck around and, and they, they weren't, you know, the, the best people, but you kind of wish they would just go off and play golf. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, just go away. Let us do our, let us do the work. And, and, you know, yeah, if you want to be, if you want to, you know, be part of, part of the whole business, that's great. Like, I mean, he clearly has, must have production companies and things like that. He must have people he can, he can support, you know, through as a benefactor, but doesn't necessarily have to be the, the title guy on the, sc- on the screen. I mean, cause, cause like, you know, it's like, look at all the, all the people that have been canceled. I mean, I love baby driver. I love it with, that was a great, movie, but I can't watch it anymore, yep. you know? Um, and, and same with like Louis CK, I love his work, but I, I have a real hard time sort of turning off what you know about him now. Right. You know, like, you know, even, even some of the, the, the you know, some of the scenes in, in his last TV show where he was quite mean to that, that actress, I can't remember her name, but, and I, and I realized that was a part, but. You know, when you see that behavior written in his writing, because <laughs> he wrote that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and then have it have it manifest and turn around to be like a real thing. It, it, I think this whole, I mean, you know, like, um, you know, you can even go back as far as Michael Jackson. But I mean, the thing is, like, like even before that, like there there was stuff going on that you in, in you didn't you you couldn't you didn't hear about it because we just we uh, whether we had blinders on or it was just masked or just there just wasn't that ubiquity of information that there is today since you know the internet turned on the fire hose right so i it's i think yeah he should just go play golf yeah it, it, it is a really terrible situation here for a lot involved here um i'm gonna look at the quote that stuck out to me from this um entertainment weekly ew uh article this is ray fisher who played uh cyborg i think in justice league yep um where is the quote i lost it this is ray fisher talking about just we <clears throat> Josh Whedon had nearly two years to get his story straight. He's likely spent tens, if not hundreds, of thousands of dollars on PR, crisis management, and coaching. And his response to the allegations is, they misunderstood and or are out to get me. Also, my mom is sexy. I'm like, what? <laughs> what, what is this chain of thought here? But that is a, a strange mom is sexy thing that uh, stuck out to me. Yeah. Well, and... and- you know, Whedon in trying to defend himself, as I should uh, contextualize some of the quotes I shared earlier, because I was reading Fisher's quote, the quote from uh, from Whedon about Ray Fisher was, uh, Whedon felt the actor did not deliver a good performance. Quote, we're talking about a malevolent force, Whedon said of Fisher, we're talking about a bad actor in both senses. 
damn, that's that's harsh. Like he's not only is he criticizing him for ill intent, but for his performance. Mm-hmm. Yow. Yeah, I mean, and the thing about this is like the the danger is for for someone who who is a, doesn't want to come forward is they could end up blacklisting themselves. You know, yeah. like 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 Gal Gadot could be seen as a as a complainer, and maybe maybe she won't get jobs because. Yeah. People are nervous that she'll she'll turn on them or something like that. Even even though that was not her intention, and and, and same with him. Like mm-hmm. he may not he may not get the roles that he needs to get now that he would have got without the story coming out. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's always a danger of coming forward and being the whistleblower. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, Tim, you mentioned the idea of him, you know, maybe he needs to take the silent partner role. He did actually uh, work on a series not long ago for HBO that kind of, uh, you know, snuck in there. Um, It's called The Nevers. Um, which was on yeah, last I year, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe last last year. I think it premiered, and it didn't do great. But it was basically it was kind of it was very jossy. It was you know it was his production company. He created it. It's about a, a group of women in Victorian times who you know develop these strange abilities, and yeah. a little Buffyish, little little Buffyish, but. He was still in such sort of, uh, you know, uh, the doghouse so much, justifiably, that they didn't put his name out front and center. I wasn't like a new Joss Whedon show, whereas that would have been a selling feature previously. You know, Joss has got a new HBO show. Holy cow. That would have been great. We'd be, we'd be lining up. Yeah. yeah and exactly. I, again, I, I didn't even bother checking it out. It's been available for months and months and months. I, I have no interest in, in going down that road. And I think that was the sentiment by a lot of people was just like... Not this won't be good, but I don't feel good about watching it and supporting, you know, the kind of behavior that he's been accused of. And, you know, this is one way you can take a stand. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Unfortunate. But, you know. Yep. I mean, it's like the rest of us. Like we can't, you know, we can't be idiots on Facebook and then expect to get a job if our if our bosses are going to watch us being idiots on Facebook, you know, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't, you gotta, you you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be like, if you're gonna, you know, get in a dinghy and go stand between whalers and, and, you know, whaling boats and whatever, like whatever the cause is, right. Um, you can't not have a price to pay for that. Right. So, so, I mean, that's, that's the reality. It's just, it's just the way society works. It's, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's been a bad boy and, and, you know, he's should go count his millions. Yeah, you know. although this scandal also cost him his uh, now ex-wife, so I'm guessing he's got a few less millions to rub together. Well, still, I mean, but like you know, like, like yeah, what pay what goes around comes around, you know. Yep. Yep. So. All right. Next thing is some sad news for Tim and I, at least, and probably a few more people out there. The Why the Last Man television series looks like it has had its one and only season. The showrunner. Uh, Eliza Clark uh, told the good folks at uh, on Twitter this week that for those of you who have been asking me, we reach, really tried really hard to get another platform to pick up season two of Why, but sadly it doesn't look like it's going to happen. It's always incredibly difficult to move a show, and in recent years it's only gotten harder. So it seems like yeah. we will not get to find out where that telling of that story has gone so if you really dug it and you want to know what's going on i highly recommend you pick up the brian k vaughn pia comic book series it's not exactly the same 
but it's certainly close enough that you could derive some closure and some satisfaction from knowing how the uh, how the pandemic in that uh, story happened and what becomes of Yorick and Ampersand and uh, and you know all of their adventures. It's uh, it's a great book. Highly recommend. But uh, yeah, we're done. No more sir. No more show. That's sad. Yeah. All right, so now we have a new thing we're calling the More Than Just Code Universe crossover stories. Um, <laughs> the MTJU, for those of you driving at home or transporting at home. Um, this is an article that um, sort of surfaced a couple of days ago. Uh, we actually had Rostam um, uh, Romanoff as one of the uh, guests on More Than Just Code a couple of weeks ago, a couple of episodes ago. Uh, he's the founder of Agile Bits, the makers of 1Password. We are huge 1Password fans on the show of Modernist Code. And we highly recommend that if you don't have a decent uh, password manager, you know, secure notes kind of repository, we highly, highly recommend 1Password. Um, and we do that on this show as well. Um, but that said, they had just got a huge infusion of cash uh, in in terms of investors to the tune of $620 million U.S. infused into, oh, by the way, Toronto's own 1Password creators Agile Bits, um, friends of the show, of course. Uh, and But the money was put together by a number of X-Men and Avengers actors, like, you know, um, uh, Ryan Reynolds and... Um, Stark, what's his name again? Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. I'm just going to rattle off some names here from the article. This is in the Toronto Star for those of you driving at home, so we apologize about their firewall. Scarlett Johansson, Chris Evans, um, as well as people like Ashton Kutcher, Rita Wilson, uh, Trevor Noah, Justin Timberlake, Farrell Williams, Matthew McConaughey. So, you know, that's it's quite an endorsement to, to get those kind of... I mean... I, you know, I wonder if it's them specifically, or it's their companies that they're they're uh, that they fund who have have uh, stepped up behind this this um, great piece of software, in my opinion. So, uh, great news for my friends who uh, who I know I know them, Dave and uh, Rustin personally. Uh, but yeah, it's um, they're doing great. Good good news on them. So, and we'll probably talk about this again on more than just code in the next episode, which is where the crossover tie-in comes from. <laughs> right. I don't have and maybe for the, the, the you know this is the this is the um cliffhanger for like dun 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 that leads into the other crossover episode so i was looking at the valuation so they raised 620 million at a 6.8 billion valuation okay interesting so the the valuation oh i didn't catch the billion with a b yeah it's interesting yeah 620 million with an m and 6.8 billion the B revenues from a different article from CNBC says that they expect 2021 to come in. So at 150 million, which means this would be valued at 45, uh, sorry, 45 times revenue, which uh, Mark can probably answer the, is that high? It seems pretty high to me. Um, but it is also interesting that businesses account for about 60% of one passwords revenue, which Mm-hmm. I think speaks to the, this is definitely a, a like a business SaaS play when it comes to the investments right there. They're not getting rich on helping uh, you and your family manage their accounts. They're, they're getting rich on helping, you know, every startup and uh, larger and larger companies like not have to keep the passwords on sticky notes. 
or send yeah. around an email <laughs> or god forbid use password one two three four five as the password or something uh-huh. yeah. yeah well if you if you listen to the episode of more than just code where Rustin was on he talks about the like the the day i met him was he did a talk at ns north in 2014 and and he he tells the story of how that was that particular conference was a big day big time for them because that was when they sat down and figured out what they wanted to do with the company and they they determined that businesses was the way to go and that's when they started the one password you know multi-user type account like i have a family account you know so so a couple of my grandsons and myself share uh, share an account along with carol and um uh but but you know if you have a business or whatever you can you can buy into this and that was a huge um you know groundbreaking moment for them as a company to sort of do that so i mean check it out i mean he's he's, he's an interesting character because you know he, he came from uh, russia and, and we were talking about we were both fans of the 72 summit series and he was told in school that the Russians won the series. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we talked about that. And, and Paul like, Henderson you know, was killed in a plane crash on the way home. Yeah, exactly. That's so weird to be like, do you believe in miracles? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's just like completely flies over his head. And you were like, what? what how, how do you not know this? Yeah. Every four well, years, funny, you're funny. forced to see this if you're watching you know, uh, any of the, the USA coverage of the winter Olympics, which I mean, granted you all have your, your own over there in Canada, but surely when you're like, Oh, I don't like this particular sport. Let me switch over to the USA networks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have the 72 summit series where, uh, where Canada beat Russia and you guys have the 80 Olympics and that's the, and they even, hang on, let's, let's, let's back up because I was in Canada for one of the games at Toronto in Toronto and they lost, I mean, they got their, their asses handed to them. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, like, like, I don't know who did the math on this, this series, or well, I do know who did the math on the series and that's an, he's another guy that got canceled. Um, but anyway, um, the, um, I think it was eight game series. How do you determine who won on eight game series? It was, I think it was four, four, they, they lost all the games in Canada and I think Canada won the games in in Russia. I mean, I don't think there was no round robin kind of. Yeah, like, no, I think know, it was, it was total, total. Uh, win, no total wins and losses. I think there was ties in there too. Let me. I'll just look it up quickly here. But uh, yeah, I think there was ties in there too. Like we're we're all like we're can like it's funny because Carol used to work at the Hockey News and um, there like it's funny how how you know you you kind of you kind of look in at your world or you you see the you see the world from your perspective. They thought that the Paul Henderson goal against the Russian goaltender, I believe it was Vladislav of Trechak at the time. But that was a defining moment in Canadian history. Yep. I'll let that sit there for a minute. So here's how it went. So Russia won the first game. Canada won the second game. They tied the third game. And Russia won the fourth game. So they went back. That was all. Those were all oh, played so they, in Canada. They, so I was at the second game. I didn't know. I, didn't, I thought they lost. Yeah. So that, those were the games played in Canada. So Russia went back to Russia. This is the Soviet Union, of course, back then. Uh, went back to the Soviet Union up Two wins, one loss, one tie. Then they won game five. So that put them up three, one, and one. So if they had won one more game, they would have won the majority of the series and thereby won the series. And then Canada came back and won three, two, four, three, and six, five to end up with four wins, three losses, and one tie, thereby winning the series. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> but they were close. They were really close. Sorry, Rastam, you were wrong. What can I say? <laughs> yeah. But then again, you know, you learn what you learn, right? Yep. 
Anywho, uh, yeah, I, I, it, the, the the story behind it, uh, Jaime, is that you know at the time everybody thought Canada was the the you know the cat's ass when it came to um, hockey. They thought you know Canada was like just going to hand it to the Soviet, and the Soviets came with a completely different game strategy. Yep. You know, they were passing, they weren't, you know, hitting, they were like, they were just finesse and they, they out finesse the Canadians. Like, I think the first game in Montreal, the Canadians were like, oh my God, what is going on? Well, they killed them in that first game. It was 7-3 for the the Russians. Yeah. And everyone was like, wait, what's happening? (laughs) They were all taken by surprise. All right. So uh, somewhere around here, I think I have Jonathan, just, you know, in case... In the case of number one fans listening, somewhere around here, I have a program from that game. So. Nice. Anyway, but I don't know where it is. Um, it's probably in storage in Mississauga. <laughs> uh, but anyway, here we are. We are now at the part of the show where we talk about a Star Trek thing. This week, we're talking about Prodigy, and we're talking about Season 1, Episode 8, Time Amok. Um yeah, it's like a muck I mean, time. Get it? Get it? Get it? No, I get it. <laughs> they I do a lot of that. Like, I, I don't. I don't know if a muck time is. I don't know if a muck time is is uh, appropriate for a Nickelodeon show. Uh, you know, it's funny because I I saw the name before I watched the episode. So I saw Time Amok, obviously a play on Amok Time, which is the season two premiere of the original Star Trek series. One of the most famous series, probably a must watch for the original series where uh, uh, Spock gets horny, has to go back to his home planet of Vulcan. And uh, so we learn a lot more about the Vulcans and their traditions. And then Spock and Kirk go to the arena and battle to the death and uh yeah it's a class it's an all-time classic original star trek episode so i knew that going in i was like oh i wonder what they're gonna do to put a twist on this yeah it turns out the answer is nothing it's just a title so here we go i'm gonna start with a tangent i think it's a play on a muck I, 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 I got it but i yeah, okay. um I'm just explaining to the kids and listening to the show. I'm going to start with a tangent before we even get into the episode. So the very first thing that is said in this episode, with no cold open, by the way, is that uh, is the holographic version of Janeway lists the star date. She lists the star date at 607125.6. So we've had some discussions on previous episodes about where in continuity this Falls, given that there is a holographic version of Janeway, that the you know events seem to uh, that happened around the protostar seem to center around a Captain Chakotay, uh, and we're trying to figure out sort of where in proximity relation to Voyager and the sort of core three of Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager this falls. So Voyager ended. In the year 2378. Memory Alpha says it started in 2371 and ended in 2378. Makes sense. Okay. So, when you put in 607125.6 into any number of calculators for star dates online, the consensus is that the star date equals February 15th, 2930. Does that make any sense? 600 years in the future. Are we supposed to infer that there's more timey-wimey coming here? That at some point, perhaps, Mm. they are going to travel in time? That the ship traveled in time? That the ship's been trapped under that planet where they found it for hundreds of years? Just This, to me, was way more interesting than the episode that followed. 
<laughs> so to me, to me, like like when I think about the fact that they've got this this Proto Star engine, right? Is that what they call it? Yep. And then they and they've you know and the fact that it's it's been lost and that they have a holographic Janeway, you know. Um, and a relatively modern-looking kind of uh, ship. Um, yeah, by the way, one of the one of the coming back to center seat. One of the I think that one of the, the one of the spaceships that they filmed. I think in the, the Wrath of Khan, they actually filmed it upside down. Hmm. So it looks like, so it looks like a different kind of design, but it's actually jet, the nacelles are on the bottom instead of on the top. It's just because they turned the model upside down <laughs> intentionally, right? Sure. Anyway, which, you know, Jaime was talking a couple of weeks ago about, like, which way the ships kind of orient themselves when they face each other and they, they have these, you know, standoffs. Anyway, um, to me, I would think that this story, based on the fact that nobody knows about the Federation, the fact that, the, you know, this ship has been lost, it's got this cool tech on it. If you had told me this story took place 250 years past, like, Picard and Discovery original discovery before they went timey-wimey as well, I would have bought that as, as a premise. I would have said, yeah, that makes sense. Like, because for this to be, like, and I think a couple of couple of episodes ago, we, we calculated, or I think on, uh, Jaime was saying on, on the webs that they were, on the Reddits, they were saying that it was like 17 years hence, like forward, or seven years forward from from the beginning of Voyager. It would make no sense to me that they would have a holographic Janeway at that point. You know, yeah, because she would still have been been alive, right? Like she was the the Admiral Janeway in in one of the Star Trek movies, right? Um, Undiscovered Country or something like that, right? Yep. But uh, so, no, but in um, Insurrection, Surgeon. Insurrection. She's insurrection. In the beginning of Insurrection. Yeah. yeah. So to me, like, like, yeah, for this to be in the same time frame as Voyager makes no sense. For it to be in you know the future, like some at some arbitrary point, I, I buy that. You know, so. So these these numbers don't make sense because, like you're saying, twenty three seventy eight is when Voyager ended, and and now we're talking twenty nine thirty. Or does like time and space distort as you move further away from you know <laughs> our galaxy, kind of thing, right? So, what do you think, Jaime? Yeah, I I can't answer precisely mathematically what the heck is going on here. So I really hope they they get to that at some point because um, it's getting weird in terms of time, and I'm not sure how it makes sense. I think. Clearly, to me, Prodigy takes place in some sort of sort of future where they do have cool holographic Janeway. They do have, apparently, unless this is a, oh, this is recording before we went into deep freeze for a thousand years or something, like, of older, but not necessarily end of his life, just older Chakotay, right, as uh, as the captain yeah, from that exactly, video. Like, yeah. I'm hoping they they answer because it's it's getting weird. <laughs> it's getting really hard to figure out how this fits together, and I'm I'm sure they do have a an idea. It's just not clear yet. So, well, even in even in the memory alpha, sorry, even in the memory alpha entry that I have here from about this show about Prodigy, and I, I think memory alpha is crowdsourced, so it's not it's it's put together by people like us, right? Um, it says right on the tin in 2383, five years after USS Voyager returned to Earth, a motley crew of young alien prison miners on Tars Lamora prison colony Delta Quadrant find an abandoned Starfleet Starfleet ship, the USS Protostar. Right, so, so they're saying five years after. Well, when did Voyager return to Earth though? Did did they, did they do a timey wimey thing when they came back? No, they used the transwarp conduit. They didn't. Uh, it was 
they didn't they took a shortcut the as same... opposed to a timey wimey. Although the timey wimey is but certainly they ended there. Up in the same li- like they ended up coming back in their own life. Yeah, they, right? seven like, years. But... It took them seven years to come back, which is exactly how long the show aired for. Right. Okay. But it was supposed to take them. I think when they landed in the Delta Quadrant at first, they said it was going to take them like eighty years or a hundred years or something like that. Okay. I, yeah. I may have found an answer, and I found it on the message board for trekmovie.com, which is a, a, not a bad site. I go there from time to time. So lots of people on there said the same thing. Ran this starting through the calculator. It makes no sense. What the heck's going on? One person commented, this is not attributed anywhere, so take it with a grain of salt. According to Star Trek Prodigy, Prodigy producer Aaron Waltke, the Stardate's unusual number was the first hint in the episode that time was already being distorted, namely Hologram Janeway's temporal settings were already being affected by the approaching Tachyon Storm, something she approaches uh, and observes later in the episode. So maybe she was messed up by that. So uh, maybe mm-hmm. her her recording that... In her computer ease, she was thinking that that was when it was, and that we were supposed to interpret that that was when the time had gone wonky. Did Microsoft make holographic chainway or something? <laughs> wow. Wow. Shots fired, Tim. Shots fired. Goodness. <laughs> yeah, by one problem. Bad, bad floating point unit. All right. Well, let's let's jump into the recap of this thing quickly, and we can circle back to all this. So... We start the episode with a uh, the holographic Janeway talking about how they had such a catastrophic first contact uh, with an alien species in the last episode, and how she really wants for wants the team to try and work on their teamwork so that they can uh, avoid such problems in the future. We go down into the holodeck where they are doing the old riddle of the fox, the chicken, and the grain. You have a boat, you've got a fox, a chicken, and the grain. How do you get them all to the other side without uh, disaster befalling one or the other or the other? Uh, and of course, uh, they're, they are not on the same page and they they fail. Um, during this little exchange, uh, at one point, they, uh, one of them refers to Rock Talk as the security officer, and she sort of says, I don't want to be the security officer. Why do I have to be the security officer? And clearly is not enjoying what she sees as her, her lot on the, on the ship. Um, it's at that point, you know, the holographic Janeway sort of says, you know, for Starfleet cadets, you guys sure are, you know, a ragtag bunch. And they finally confess, Dal confesses, you know, hey, listen, we're not actually Starfleet cadets. We've been lying to you. We stole this ship and, you know, we don't know what the heck we're doing here. So, you know, get off our backs, basically. Uh, we cut back to the diviner our big bad for the series he is stewing at the inability to acquire the protostar he gets a phone call the phone call is from nandy who we met last episode the ferengi who had once sold uh dal into slavery and as telegraphed at the end of last episode she says hey i know where you can find your peeps uh i look forward to some uh reward for this and tells uh, the diviner where they can find them, but because they had already uh, used the Proto Star engine to get away from the diviner several episodes back, he fi- finds that they are too far for him to actually get. 
but he has a plan, which we'll see more of after. Uh, we go back to the protostar, and as we mentioned earlier uh, on, they're approaching this tachyon storm, which, you know, space is big. Just going to put that out there. Space is big. You, you don't have to go mm-hmm. right next to the tachyon storm. You know, if you look into your uh, your you know front view screen and you see a tachyon storm, maybe go around. Just putting that out there. Um, anyway... A blast wave from the Tachyon Storm comes and hits the ship, and this blast wave sort of goes through the engine, and we see this very weird sort of effect where we see sort of uh, Janeway split into multiple, you know, versions and then sort of snaps back. And we find Janeway then back in engineering with Jenkum Pog, and the blast wave has damaged the engine. There's going to be a core breach, and Jenkum basically says, "Oh no, I've got only got ten minutes to fix it," and then walks over to the engine, and the engine starts basically starting to to explode, and Jenkum dies. The ship blows up, everybody's gone, and then. Janeway sort of on a kid show on a kid yeah, show, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, Jankum is is gone. Theoretically, the ship blows up. Everyone's heartbroken for about four, maybe three seconds, and then Janeway sort of snaps back in and is alive, and she's back on the protostar, and she's standing there with um, Rock Talk, and. She figures out that, oh, time is moving differently for each member of the crew, and that Rock Talk is moving at extreme slow speed, extremely slow speed, whereas uh, Jenkum Pog was working at extremely fast speed. That's why when he thought he had 10 minutes, it took like, you know two seconds and the ship was toast. In this version of the timeline, Rock Talk is stuck in extremely slowed down time. And uh, yes, and and in a great you know the tradition of Star Trek that we've we've come to enjoy over the last number of uh, of months for uh, Prodigy, they do the Timey Wimey 101 where she explains how time works and how you know how timey wimey things work in the Star Trek world and everything else. And so the holographic Janeway basically says, you know, hey Rock, you have to help fix the engine and. Rock is feeling very overwhelmed and is still upset about, you know, not really having the skills and not really knowing what to do. And so she basically turns the Janeway program off. And so that triggers Janeway zipping off to the next person. And so it's Zero, and Zero is trying to build a warp matrix to help stabilize the engine and try and prevent it from exploding. And, but her time is also going too fast. Uh, not as fast as Jenkum Pogs, but also fast. And so Zero won't have enough time to actually build the thing. But Janeway comes up with the great uh, realization, hey, you don't have to. If I'm going to keep zipping back and forth through time, you just you make the plans, I'll share the plans, and eventually we'll just keep passing it through the, the phases of time and everybody will be able to work together. Hence the working together thing from the beginning of the episode. Uh Next stop is Murph. Murph is not helpful. And then uh, immediately jumps to the next person who is Dal. Dal is busy playing a video game, doesn't really want to help. She finally, you know, turns off his video game and says, no, 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 dude, you got to help. Dal goes and, and builds the right uh, piece of equipment, builds the uh, builds the um, matrix, but cannot find one of the parts needed before he's about to go kablooey. And he's trying to do this, and he realizes, oh, I could just use the vehicle replicator, which we've seen in previous episodes, but the vehicle replicator is not working properly because something was clearly happening with it. Uh, we also get an Apollo 13 history lesson, which, Tim, I thought you'd greatly appreciate. 
as as they talk about how all the things are here for us to use. You just have to be, you know, creative and use our ingenuity. Uh, we get a nice little building montage. He builds the thing. He can't get it done. Then Dal's toasted, and we move on to Gwyn. Gwyn, uh, you know, is trying to do the uh, the the part, can't get it done, and uh, is. We find out what was happening with the replicator. Uh, the vehicle replicator was actually replicating Dreadnought. So what happened was the Diviner had basically figured out how to send the signal to the vehicle replicator because obviously he has some experience with the Protostar. And so the vehicle replicator replicated a version of Dreadnought, the giant robotic uh, General grievous villain. And so Gwyn is basically, you know, uh, battling ish dreadnought dreadnought comes onto the bridge and um that's when he is recognized by holographic janeway who says you attacked my crew you erased my memory and he looks at her and says close so we know that that's not exactly how that happened but then dreadnought does something interesting which is he uses chakotay's voice to activate the command codes for the ship and he erases janeway you know, obviously, we know that's not going to be permanent, but interesting that mm-hmm. he has that ability. Yeah, you can just go to the App Store and download another copy. Simply- well, and yeah, that's pretty much what happens. So, uh, anyways, Dreadnought basically, uh, you know, Gwyn says, "Well, you know, good job, you've you've eliminated her, but you're not going to stop the ship from blowing up because we can't find this one part." And he walks right over to the immediate spot where it is, pulls it out of the cupboard, and she's like, "Huh, you really do know your way around this ship." Um. We then get um, him going down. He's going to try and basically, uh, you know, set up the matrix and turn this thing off. But um, in order to stop him, Gwyn basically opens the airlock. He goes flying out to space, but so does the matrix. And we end up with, you know, yet another sort of timeline that doesn't end well. We then go back to Rock, and Rock is the one in the slowest timeline. And... Uh, she's lonely. She's bored. She can't find her friends. She's she's really sort of lonely. And she finds on the computer a uh, recording from Gwyn where Gwyn basically outlines what, uh, you know, the plans for building the Matrix again and gives her the speech saying, you know, I know you can do this. You know, you're, you're sorry for calling you the security officer. We know you're capable of much more than that. You can do this. And so Rock... Uh, the next scene, we see Rock restoring the Janeway hologram, saying, oh, yeah, I know, you, you know, he, he erased one part, but he didn't erase the whole thing. We got it back from the App Store. It's fine. And um, so she has rebuilt the Matrix and is ready to sort of unwind the time. And then we find out that um, not only did it, you know, did she do this, but she had to, like, apparently spend a long amount of time in there. We don't know how long, but it, it makes it sound like it was probably months. Yeah, she studied courses, and she. Well, I think it might have been years because she, she. Well, that's the, all they say is that she was in there for a very, things. very long time. But she comes yeah, out, and she's yeah. like, she's way smarter. She's way more confident. She has her knowledge. She figures out how to how to do this stuff, and you know, ends up fixing things, hooks up the matrix, everything's back to normal, everything's fine, everybody's alive again, and you know, happily ever after. And as they're all patting each other on the back, telling each other great job, we go down to the uh, the hangar bay where. The uh, the machine that is the vehicle replicator is clearly still kind of cooking there, and we see Dreadnought to the, the Dreadnoughtening, uh, who is being rebuilt once again. <laughs> yeah. 
So good, Definitely bad, cool. indifferent. Uh, you know, Star Trek loves its timey wimey stories. Uh, this is a good starter. I was going to say it was a very complex story. You know, I again, I kind of wonder, like again, at the age age range for this show because it it is very. You know, your eight-year-old's not going to... Well, some eight-year-olds might be able to follow this, but, you know, the it is very timey. I mean, I had a few... I had to do a couple of double takes on the, the time and think to myself, did we go through all the characters? And was this just basically the fox, the chicken, and the grain being told through the, the, the warp replicator or whatever it is they were making, yep. right? Um, you know, because and and how she bounces back and forth and whatever. I don't, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, she did. I do remember Rock being slow. Now that you say mm-hmm. that, right? Because I'm trying to remember why. Because she seemed to go through each person, right? Yep. Um, to get to the to the thing, right? So. Yeah, I mean, it basically it comes you know, back to the old thing. It's you have to take two over, one back, one over, one back. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So the chicken won't eat the grain, and the, and the fox, fox won't eat the chicken. Eat the chicken yeah. And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Interesting episode. I probably, you know, it took, if I really wanted to sort of catch up with the time, I'd probably have to sit down and watch it again, you know. But uh, but it is it is sort of, I guess, a, an object lesson on, like you said, cooperation and teamwork, and everybody takes a takes a part of it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess, that's the takeaway from this this episode, right? For, for anybody out there who has an eight year old is watching this show, maybe let us know. Let us know what they're thinking about this. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious yeah. if this is if this is hitting the demographic they want. You're right. We we kind of joked a little bit and and maybe took the took the pee out of the the show a little bit in some of these previous episodes for being a little too, uh, you know, juvenile. Star Trek Ju- juvenile. I mean, they are there, and that's fine. Yeah. That's what they're for. But this one, yeah, this was um, this would have been a lot for a young person, perhaps, to wrap their head around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, especially about the time, the whole idea of time not being linear, right? So, yeah. yeah, or or that there's multiple. Uh, I mean, you know, how many episodes have we seen of Star Trek? It's it's kind of like you know, at least once a season, they have to do some sort of time loop story, oh, you yeah. know, <laughs> where the ship gets blown up twenty seven times, right? Yep. So, I'm I'm a plus minus. I, I liked it. There's some interesting, I think, lore stuff that's going on here where, I mean, I usually eat lunch while I'm watching these, but I could have sworn that Dreadnought's voice was imitating Chakotay. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was. Because yeah, it was. Yeah, Chakotay's, yeah, right? Yeah. That's how he got the authorization. So they they know enough about the Protostar to not only know that Chakotay was the captain, but to have enough of his voice uh, presumably recorded that they could, you know, use the AI stuff to reproduce his voice. Uh, so that's that's interesting in, in ties. I I am interested in in hearing from folks, as you all mentioned, who who are watching this with kids who are in the the right age range, like the the intended target, not you know uh, older ones, like for you know Nickelodeon uh, typical watchers that this is for. I'm kind of curious how they take some stuff because I I think some of it goes over their head and they're like, yay, cool stuff. And it's totally fine. But there's some weird, disturbing stuff in this one as an adult that I don't think a kid would pick up on. Like, um, you know, several of the characters are like, I remember being dead, (laughs) you know, or at least I remember dying and here I am. What the heck? That's very disturbing as an adult. Um, uh, the other one that's kind of interesting is Rock Talk going through her Bill Murray in Groundhog's Day moment where time is so slow that she has enough time to to catch up on all these things that she didn't know about so she could help save the day. And that's got some weird disturbing of like, man, how long was she alone? And they just completely ignored her like it was a long time. 
I was like, oh my god, yeah, oh, that, yeah, that is yeah. that is disturbing. It would go 100% over a kid's head, I think, but weird and disturbing. And uh, I'll say when they were going through the 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 plot line of what they had to do, I thought for sure Murph was going to play some part, given that the previous week he was eating all those photon grenades like nothing. I thought for sure he was going to like swallow the warp core explosion or something to slow it down long enough for them to to do stuff. Um, it did not turn it that way, but that, those are my takeaways. Yeah, I, I I do think it's it is a little bit dark when you when you step back from it and realize that we've we've already established you know in in the initial in the pilot we saw Dal perceiving Rock as this sort of menacing lumbering creature and then of course when we get the Universal translators we realize that Rock is is a child and. It, when you reflect on the fact that what we've essentially said is that, yes, a child has saved the day, but a child essentially had to live for months, days, years, decades, who knows how long by themselves to get this done. It's, it's kind of dark. It's kind of dark. Well, so, and the other thing, too, about this whole, like, this this loop thing that I talked about, you know, like like the episode where, you know, it, whether it's the the Enterprise D or, or um, Discovery, you know, blowing up as they go through these time loops with these distortions and stuff like that, to me... I often wonder what happened in those loops where where there's a fatal ending, right? I mean, as a, as a kid, I'd be sitting there going, "Yeah, but they died. What happened to the ones that died?" You know, like like it just you know, in terms of when you start thinking about time loops and 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 time, and I mean, because the time the the timeline we're living in is very linear. Like you know, it it doesn't it there isn't a do over, there isn't a reset, there are no you know stages where you know the game gets saved and we get to carry on if we make a mistake you know um you know like so when you when you tell stories like this and and you tell it to i mean for as adults you know it's it's kind of our version of horror like these these time loop things you know if you're not into zombies and and werewolves and stuff like that maybe maybe this is the the kind of you know spine tingling storyline that you like you know watching the enterprise blow up five times in an episode but um it's 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 an odd sort of thing to sort of put out there in front of a kid and then have them you know question things like philosophy philosophy and you know you know do I really exist? Oh is man, this, I just saw a bunch of existential stuff. kids. I think we just birthed a new generation of emo kids. They're gonna be listening to the Cure yeah. and the Smiths next week. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep. You live with one now, actually. I don't know if you noticed that. You know. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was inevitable between my wife and I and our uh, our childhoods and our teen years. It was only only a matter of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Should we move on to the book of Boba Fett? Mr. Fett. Let's talk about Mr. Fett, shall we? All right. Super quick recap for this. We start the episode as, uh, you know, riding around on the range. We have uh, Boba and his Mantha. Mm-hmm. Um, the episode sees him, uh, starts with him scoping out Jabba's palace, trying to figure out if he could he could get in there and, and get his stuff. But figuring he can't, he sees a distant sort of uh, flash of light, checks it out, and we find ourselves where we've... Uh, first got our glimpse of Boba the first time on The Mandalorian where uh, Fennec has been shot and is lying there uh, dying and so he scoops her up, um, which is I'm sure what you're supposed to do with people who have blaster wounds to the stomach and throws her on the back of a bantha for the slow 
slow ride into uh, the outskirts of Moss Eisley, where he finds a modding shop, tying back to the mods we saw last week. And the um, he pays the mod a large amount of credits from where I, he got the credits. I do not know. And... He has her modded and saves her life, which, of course, we knew from having seen her with her robotic uh, abs in in Mandalorian. And uh, they proceed to team up and plan the the great heist where they're going to break into Jabba's now Bib Fortuna's palace. And they're going to steal back the ship that they no longer call Slave One because Slave is a bad name. And they just say his ship, his ship, his ship. They have a pretty extended scene with some pretty comedic robots where they go in and they uh, they carry out this mission. They go in there and they, they steal uh, Slave One back. Then he says, well, I've got a little business to do. And so he goes and he hunts down the Nictos, who clearly killed his clan of Tuscans and blows them to little pieces all over the Dune Sea. And then he goes back to the Sarlacc pit looking for his armor and basically uh, goes like face first in his ship into the Sarlacc pit and uh, ends up, uh, Fennec ends up helping him nuke the Sarlacc. So in uh, in one fell swoop, we've got uh, his ship back. He kills the Sarlacc for trying to eat him. And... Um, and then he wakes up because we know that he has these sort of flashbacks to the visions of the past when he's in the Bacta tank. So he basically, the, the easy Bacta oven opens up and he is baked and he's fine. And uh, they he's told he's cured now by the by his robot. That's right. right. So apparently mm-hmm. he's fine now, which makes me think, OK, so are we done with the flashbacks? It makes sense. We don't really need any more flashbacks from here. And so then we're back into the present where he basically says, I'm going to go into town and see what's going on. And he, so he goes back to the bar that is, uh, that is run by the um, uh, Twi'lek uh, Jennifer Beals. And uh, we see Chrysanthemum, uh, of course, Chrysanthemum, who had been, you know, freed and sort of let back into town to do his own thing. Chrysanthemum is sitting there drinking at a table and watching the Trandoshans. Trandoshans, of course, are the mor- mor- uh, mortal enemies of the Wookiees. They are uh, a race renowned for hunting Wookiees for sport. And they, uh, if you read the comics history of Chrysanthemum, they had basically captured him and used him as a uh, gladiator in their fighting pits for years and years and years. So he hates Trandoshans. That's some good context for what happens next, where basically he gets just drunk enough to go over and start beating the living crap out of a bunch of uh, the Trandoshans there. And as he's got sort of the last one who had the temerity to try and break a glass over this, uh, his head, he's got a, a, him up and he's you know doing that. We get the Jennifer Peels uh, character comes over and says, listen, you know, I know you've got a bad thing going on here with them, but how about I wipe out your bar tab and you don't kill this guy? And he sort of gives her a side eye and then <laughs> rips the Trandoshan's arm off. And the moral of the story, of course, being some things in life are better than getting your bar tab paid off. And he pays his tab. And he pays he his pays tab. His tab. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And of course, Boba, Boba sees all this. Boba, Boba goes outside and says, you know, it looks to me like you could use a different job. So, as we were hoping, or at least I was hoping at the end of last week's episode when you know we saw uh, uh, Chrysanthemum going back into town, 
we actually get more of him. So now he's coming to work for Boba and with uh, with Fennec. Next scene, we're back in uh, Boba's palace and he's got a family meal going. He's got all of the families that were working alongside Jabba that are running Mos Espa at the table. And they're talking about, you know, his plan, basically what he's going to do to take on the Pikes, who are clearly trying to take over more territory and take over the, the crime syndicates of Tatooine. And the one of them sort of, you know, snarly faced dude sort of says, well, you know, well, what's this to stop us from killing you instead of, you know, and, and, and allying with the pikes and the rancor sticks its claws through the through the grates that they're sitting on. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's an angry rancor. You don't want to do that. So in the end, they basically say, OK, you know, we're not going to ally with you, but we agree we're not going to. We're not going to ally against you. We're not going to turn on you either. We're just going to stay out of it. We end well. They're sitting over top of the the, the rancor pit very right? calmly so after what they just saw it, too. I thought, but yeah, I mean, he could just drop them into the pit, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought that was going to come from one of them. Like you know, there's always there's always one mob boss who says, "I'm not going to go with you," and then you know, they, they ceremonially do it's, the. It's true, but then Boba says himself yeah. uh, a couple episodes back. He said, "Boba uh, Jabba ruled through fear." I will rule through respect. So, okay, it it wouldn't have made sense for him to just start dispatching people in this. F- even though there's that implied threat, he doesn't actually do it. Um, so then we end up with Fennec and Boba standing on their uh, their balcony as the as the family takes off, and they say, "Well, you know, how much uh, how much how much money we got around here." And they basically figure out, okay, you know, we're going to need some muscle for this job to take out the pikes. I guess we'll have to, you know, if you have enough money, you can always find the muscle. At which point we hear a very familiar tune playing, uh, which, of course, is the theme for The Mandalorian. Da, 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 da. So hence we get a little telegraph that next episode we will see perhaps some Mandalorians brought in to mm-hmm. have a little mm-hmm. little showdown with those pikes. So from a timeline point of view, I know there was a, the middle of Mandalorian of season one or two where you see the feet, the, the, and it turns out to be Boba Fett and, yeah. and Fennec, yep. right? Um, so does does that sort of, are we dovetail, dovetailing the two stories together? Like, like this is, he's already, because he gets his armor back from um, the Mandalorian, yes. right? At one point. Yes. But, but at the end of the season, not not at this point in the story. So do they... Do they get the Mandalorian? Like, has he already helped the Mandalorian? Now the Mandalorian's going to come back. Yeah. And... So when he comes, uh, so the story that wraps. So where's Grogu in this thing? And, yeah, yeah. So exactly. the story that basically wraps where he like blows up the Sarlaccs, uh, blows up the Sarlacc, blows up the Nyctos, and then says, I got a few things I need to do. I think from there, we're supposed to dovetail into the Mandalorian story where they, they, he has a way of tracking the armor. He tracks the armor down to the Mandalorian. He joins that adventure that wraps up with season two of the Mandalorian. And then the end of the Mandalorian season two ends with the start of the book of Boba Fett, the sort of post back to tank experience where he kills Bib Fortuna and takes the throne. And that leads to where we are uh, over the last few episodes and into this episode. So no more backstory. Now we're just going forward. And now we're in the same story timeline as the Mandalorian. So basically now but we're he all earns caught up. The, he earns the but he earns the armor at the end of it, though, right? Like, because no. at the end of Mandalorian, no, he, he gets it back in the third from last episode of the Mandalorian. Yeah, but he has to go and help the Mandalorian with some, yeah. some mission. Yeah, right? well, because he gets it back in the same episode that um, that Grogu is taken away by the the not Empire, 
And then right. he yeah. and Fennec agree to help get Grogu back. And so they join him on that last mission. They do that. Then they bugger off, go back to Tatooine and kill Bifortuna. Okay. Yeah, that was like the end credit scene or something, wasn't it? It was. It was the stinger at the end of season two of The Mandalorian. Hmm. Good episode. Yeah, I mean, he just... It was kind of fun to see him use um, his ship, the Slave One, to, like, one, just completely eradicate the the bikers. Yeah. (laughs) Just mercilessly take them out. And then um, when he's uh, checking out the Sarlacc, when the little grenade pops out the back that Fennec hits the button for. I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to sound so cool. And they use the exact same sound from uh, Attack of the Clones too. Yeah. Which is nice. That little like electric guitar kind of sound to it. Yeah. Yeah. That was a cool, cool bit. And yeah, again, it's, it's funny. Cause you know, I think that was a, a sort of a giant middle finger to the, to the whole, you know, the Sarlacc beat Boba Fett, you know, oh yeah, well, what if I drop a photon grenade in the middle of this thing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, of course, doing that, with just his clothes on, he goes back <laughs> into the Sarlacc pit and, you know, comes back out and, and Fennec is like, um, you're sizzling. Your skin is literally sizzling right now. Are you okay? Uh, yeah. You know, pouring water on him to try and get the acids off him. And, you know, he's like, oh, I still can't find my armor, you know. Not, not of course, knowing that the, the Jawas had stolen at this point and it's gone on its Way. I did find that this episode, it, it was not clear between the end of last episode, where he sort of joins the the the, the Tuscans, and then he goes into town. That comes back, Tuscans are dead, and then he is sort of you know the lone man riding the range on his on his bantha. They don't, I think, they didn't do a great job both at the end of the last episode and of this episode of of showing you how time elapsed. They could have used like a just a little montage or something to show that like time is really passing here. Because the idea is that the time between when he like crawls out of the Sarlacc at, in the first episode to the time where he meets Fennec is supposed to be like four to five years. Oh, yeah? And I, and yeah. I don't feel like that was well established like I, I feel like we could have gotten more with to understand that he was with, supposed to be have been with the Tuscans for like years yeah I, I got that sort of sense too it wasn't like he won their won their favor overnight sort of thing he was started out as a prisoner right yeah and what they were gonna do with him as a prisoner I don't understand but I, I guess he was gonna be digging up black melons I don't know but oh yeah yeah right I, I just I thought that that it was strange because they have the whole, you know, oh, he they he helps them train them. They steal the swoops. He helps them get trained. They take down the, the train that's going through their territory. They, you know, go to the Pikes. And then this episode starts, or last episode, he goes into town to talk to the Pikes. And then he comes back and the people are dead. So that all must have happened within a certain sequence of time because cause and cause and effect, right? He, you know, he steals the, the yeah. bikes, he gives the bikes to the the Tuscans. The Tuscans beat the train. He goes into town to talk to the Pikes after the train robbery. The the bikers come back and kill all the Tuscans. So, or, or at least that's what we're supposed to assume. It's quite possible that the Pikes killed them too. Who knows? But. Yeah, it just it just doesn't feel like four years worth of time passed from when he climbed out of that Sarlacc to mm. where we find him in the beginning of this episode. Because when I saw that sort of flash of light, I was like, oh, what's what's this going to be? And then it was like, oh, and we've jumped up to we caught up to where we first met his feet in in the Mandalorian. 
so somehow four or five years passed. That's odd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the convenience of time. Slow, right? Yeah. Yeah. Again, great. I enjoyed lots and lots of parts of this episode. The the chrysanthemum stuff was my favorite part of the episode, but I definitely felt like uh, that that could have been a little bit better communicated. Or and then again, maybe when you binge this, it'll it'll seem more logical. Maybe it's that weak gap that just sort of doesn't add two and two to make four. But yeah, it just felt a little bit off timing wise. That being said, I think I'm, I'm glad if this was the last episode where we're doing the sort of split timeline, uh, um, Arrow, you know, Adventures on the Island versus Adventures in Star City kind of thing. I, I think I'm good with that. I think I'm I'm okay with no more no more past. But now just focusing at one timeline and where this goes. We've got three episodes to go. It, you know, obviously they they foreshadowed the return of the Mandalorians, which is, you know, cool. There's going to be this war with the Pikes. Cool. He's got, you know, Chrysanthemum on board. Cool. So I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe just just focusing on that one bit and no more no more going backwards with this. I'm just going forwards. You had a good line in there. I don't have the exact quote, but after he has the big meeting with all of the uh, the other like gang members and they agree to be neutral and then not get involved as he goes off by himself and, or will go off by himself to fight the, um, the syndicate. Uh, when Fennec asks him, do you, do you really trust them to, to stay out of the way? And he's like, I trust them to work towards their own incentives. Yeah. And they're not blind. They know that the syndicate is going to eventually take over Tatooine and kind of implies they're like, so therefore, they need to let me go take care of this problem, uh, which costs them nothing, uh, because if they interfere, then they're just hurting themselves. So yeah. it's, I trust them to do what's to their benefit, and what's to their benefit is to leave me alone. So I think it's a fair price, which is interesting. And it also, it says, hey, we don't need these particular people to help us, which means we actually get to bring in the Mandalorians, which is as... Star Wars fans is way more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good. It was a good episode. It was long too. I found yeah. you know it took a long time to sort of get through all this stuff, yeah. and it had everybody's favorite Wookiee, uh, Chris, Chris Santa. Santa in it. Yeah, yeah, I Chris Santa. Yeah. I actually heard somebody calling him Santa. My favorite is there's a podcast that I, I do enjoy, and I'll, I'll pump up for our audiences here. There's uh, one called uh, The Ringerverse, which is on the Ringer Podcast Network. And they do a couple of different shows. They do sort of an instant reaction to, uh, you know, some of the popular shows, including this one. And then they do a more deep dive a few days later where they talk about, you know, all the meanings and, you know, backstory and all this other stuff. The instant reaction one is uh, uh, like I think maybe four out of the five people on the pod are black Americans. And uh, they they keep calling him, uh, uh, was it Wookpak? Like Tupac? Wookpak? <laughs> Wookpak? Because uh, he's like big and black and scary. And I just love that they have like embraced him as a brother. I'm like, just I just love that they just, they took it and they're just like, oh yeah, he's a badass. Oh, he's so great. He's, he's this greatest character ever, this black Wookiee. <laughs> I love it. I just love it. Wookpock. Wupak. Yeah. Cool. Like Tupac. Wupak. Yep. Neato. All right, let's move on to our watch list if we can. And I guess we'll let Jaime go first. Yeah. Let me I I think this is such a generic name. Let me throw a link in here. Yeah, I would have gone and found it anyway. Yeah, there you go. Just to make sure, because I'm not sure if there's other things with this same generic title. But uh for the watch list, my item is the house on Netflix. It is um, stop motion animation 
film that's really uh, like a mini anthology series. So three sort of segments or episodes, if you want to call it, in one film about this uh, mysterious house. And it is listed on Netflix as a dark comedy, which when my significant other said, oh, I'm in the mood for comedy, I said, I don't think dark comedy is what you want if that's what you're in the mood for. And uh, she went against my uh, my advice. Um, we both enjoyed it. She did find it very disturbing. And I said, yep, that's dark comedy for you. So um, it is, uh, it's not one to necessarily watch with the kiddos, I think. Uh, it, it's it's kind of intense for something that looks on the sort of surface to be like kid friendly. I'm not so sure that it is kid friendly. Hmm. So it's fun though, yeah. and interesting, mm. something different. Cool. Yeah, it has a look like that uh, Wes Anderson movie, um, which I didn't end up watching. Uh, Fantastic uh, Mr. Fox or Island yeah. of Dogs yeah. or Isle of Dogs. Oh, oh yeah, Isle of Dogs. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. it's got you know good animation and the the character designs are a, a little off. In that sort of sense, um, uh, yeah, I think it'd be a little too scary for like little kids. The introductory trailer is pretty pretty interesting. I, I didn't get a chance. I didn't. I saw the trailer, but I didn't watch it. Yeah, it's a it, it it's a good one. But again, it, it, don't get confused and be like, oh, there's like mice it's, and it's a kid show and, yeah. and a cat. As a kid's like, no, 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 don't have little kids for this one because <laughs> there's some disturbing stuff. It's not. Uh, it's not like gory. It's just kind of unsettling and gross in in some cases so keep that in mind when you watch it and it's made have you seen Coraline yes yeah did it have a Coraline vibe I feel like Coraline leans more okay so that's fair so Coraline gets a little dark towards the end like it does it they're trying to keep her there and everything that's that's dark the Nightmare Before Christmas um is maybe a bit lighter than Coraline but um it's similar uh, even paranorman paranorman was really good but again had some some dark stuff yeah again it's not like bloody violent or any of that nature it's just more like oh man that's like gross and there's some stuff that might cause uh issues for like the littler kids so keep that in mind maybe maybe watch it with the the adults and see how it is before you you throw it on the netflix queue for the kiddos yeah yeah cool all right. Well, I got a couple of things. Uh, I have some some good Netflix advice for you as well. Um, the first one I watched is called The Colony, which is a strange sort of science fictiony story. It's uh, originally called The Tides or Tides. Um, it's sort of a Danish film, um, and but it's got some British actors in it, like the the guy who is in love with uh, Khaleesi on um, uh, Ian something or other. Um, Ian Glenn is that his mm-hmm. name? Um, uh, so he's in he's in this show, but it's it's an interesting interesting story about uh, returning to Earth after some some giant radiation destroys the Earth, and this this call these people come back to to see if they can um, they can survive on Earth. It's got sort of a beginning of Planet of the Apes kind of vibe, where you know like the a series a bunch of astronauts come, but only one of them survives kind of deal. Um, and what happened. So it's really interesting, really good um, mood, lots of interesting uh, sort of angles to it. Maybe a bit predictable, but uh, but um, really interesting, interesting, uh, well-told science fiction story. Uh, the second one I have here is called The Silent Sea, and I've talked about it before. It's a, um, it turns out to be a Korean uh, sci-fi Amazing look, amazing, amazing budget, great special effects and stuff like that, but horrible, horrible acting and horrible, <laughs> horrible story. Um, 
if you're if you're thinking about you know um, whether whether it's worth you know sitting down and watching this show or watching something else before you cancel your Netflix, I would recommend you don't watch this show. Um, I got maybe two episodes in and I think I'm done. Like there's, I, I can totally see where it's going. It's like, it's, you know, and it's, and I don't know if it's because the, the voice acting, the, the translation isn't, isn't good. I mean, like I can tell you that the, the voices are in English, right? Even though they're speaking in Korean. Um, and just the, the way the characters are written and the, and the way the, the, tra- the voices are translated, it, it just, it ruins the movie. It ruins the show if, if it has any, any sort of savability. Or I'd, I'd be curious to see what it, what people who, who speak Korean think of the show because, uh, yeah, definitely just, and Silent Sea, by the way, is Mare Tranquillis, which is the Sea of Tranquility, which is where Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed, right? So, but uh, why, again, why they couldn't use the original lunar name, I don't know. But there you go. Yeah, I I think I remember, I, I looked at the images here. I think I've seen this on the Netflix title cards. And I see that it, it has at least one of the stars is uh, Bae Duna, which the Korean actress I know from uh, the Sense8 series. Okay. On uh, Netflix, Sense Eight with like the number eight, and then uh, the Kingdom series, the like zombies in um, feudal or medieval, whatever the right term is, Korea series. Yeah, but there's so many, there's so many story like writing holes in it. Like, like you know, they have to go to the moon to find this, to find out what happened on this this um, station where there was a huge radiation leak. That's the story they're told. So they get the scientist to come on. They don't do any training with her, right? They just put her in a spacesuit, put her on the on the ship, and strap her in. And it's like, it's not like she's taking a bus ride, you know? <laughs> so I mean, like, but amazing. Like the the suit's really nice, and the effects are really good. And but it's just like the sort of like, there's no freaking way you could, you know? And and the whole launching of their sort of shuttle thing. It's I don't, I don't know. It make you know, it's trying to be like Thunderbirds, but it's completely not, you know? Yeah. But yeah, just uh, just don't waste your time on it. Tim, will some of this, as the real world sort of comes into play, will will some of this have to change? Uh, though, in terms of like, would they put somebody on on? You said it's not a bus, but like, let me think about um, what Blue Origin did. Would it put you know William Shatner or more recently um, Michael Strahan, former defensive end for the New York Football Giants? into space you know he got his space wings it, it, it's basically like he sure, was but they were, on they, a were bus. Only, they were only in space they're only in space for like you know five minutes like she has to you know get in this ship she has to put on like you know the the helmet and the the thing you know they they crash land on the moon that's not a giveaway that's in the first five minutes of the of the show they crash man on the moon she has to figure out you know like they have to get through all this sort of like you know this trials and tribulations that even a seasoned astronaut would have a hard time with right but I can tell you one thing about space is that, and, and Chris Haskell talks about this in that one clip I, I shared with you guys a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, they practice and practice and they practice error scenarios constantly to the point where they're, you know, they, something comes up, they're like, oh, this is error number 20, situation number 27 kind of deal, right? But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like, you know, it's like they just, your mom is, is the scientist and they put her on this ship and blast her off into space. There's no, I mean, that as a, as a storyline is just horrible. Like, you know, and, and the character acting in, uh, in, you know, the, it's comical. It's like, it's cartoonish, like, you know, 
Um, maybe that's maybe that's the sensibility. Maybe I'm missing the whole sort of anime kind of angle that that you know you get these sort of quirky characters and stuff like that, right? You know, and mystery 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 characters and stuff like that. But but the story, I'm not even going to go into the story. But it's it's yeah. There's let's put it this way: there wasn't a radiation leak, um, and it, and it's you know so it's it, yeah. No, let's let's move on. <laughs> um, but I am really really enjoying Station Eleven on Crave HBO Max uh, production. Um, filmed f- filmed partly in Toronto. It takes place in sort of our our neck of the woods. Amazing story. I gotta go. I'm, I'm actually gonna get the book out of the library and check it out. It was written in 2014 uh, by Emily St. John Mandel, um, and the book is called um, Station Eleven. Um, she's one of the producers of it. It is an amazing story. Like they really play around with the timey wimey. Um, it it, it you know, maybe you know if you're if you're still a little nervous about COVID and what's going on in the world right now, maybe you shouldn't ought to watch this because it is a worldwide pandemic deal. There's a flu that takes out like you know ninety percent of people, um, but it's and but but at the center of it is this book, this um, this graphic novel called Station Eleven, which is created by one of the main characters in in the beginning, who is as an artist, she um, is very protective of her work and doesn't want anybody to look at it until it's finished, right? So she's producing this book and. You know, uh, the book ruins her relationship with her first husband because uh, he, you know, can't not look at it, kind of thing. Um, and but the main character in it is um, it starts off in the very beginning of the, of the story where this actor uh, is doing King Lear, and as he's doing the play, he collapses on stage and has a heart attack. And one of the main characters kind of recognizes this from the seats that he's watching this play that that the actor is actually struggling, stands up and starts running to the stage to, and onto the stage to help this actor. But, um, and so he's the main, one of the main characters in the, in the story. Like it's, it's all about, you know, two minutes after the, like this is within the first, you know, 10 minutes of the, of this, the series. Um, and often the wings is a young girl who's playing a, a child actor, you know, who's eight years old, who's playing this character. And, um, you know, he he sort of stands up and looks at her and says, "What are you doing?" And she says, "She says, you know, I'm I'm supposed to go with the the wrangler, the the woman who takes care of the child actors." And he goes, "Well, where is she? Let me help you find her." And, and turns out the wrangler went with the the actor who died in the ambulance. And she's left this kid in this, and so he's like, "Well, let me let me let me make sure you get home safe." And he starts he, he decides to walk her home and so anyway they end up he ends up he ends up having to take care of her throughout this whole pandemic thing because her parents never show up and and it's a really good story and but then it stars Mackenzie Davis and you find out you know by the end of the first episode that Mackenzie Davis is the little girl right and now we flash forward 20 years in the future and so they go back and forth in terms of telling the story. They don't do it in a linear fashion. They they you know tell part of the story now and then part of the story in the future, and then they come back to the story to sort of close in some of the loose ends on on the characters in it. Um, the soundtrack's amazing. The storytelling is just really cool. Um, I kind of wonder if Jonathan could see some of the sort of connections coming before they come. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really good. It turns, you know, and, and, and the mystery behind it is this, there's, you, you, you're led to believe that there's one copy of this book and, and, uh, that, and the, the little, the little kid, the little girl ends up with the book and she carries it through the, through the story and she's re- reading it as they go through, 
the whole pandemic thing. So it's it's uh, I highly highly recommend this one. It's probably one of the better sci-fi's I've seen in in a long time. Even though, yeah, considering that the world the world we're in right now, it might be a little creepy for some people. Mm. Well, now I'm intrigued. So, there you go. Yeah, definitely highly. And this is probably the one of the best shows I've seen in a, in a long while. Yeah, if you if you got that, you know, why the last man, you know, sadness, this will definitely fill fill that void. <laughs> have they already have they already licensed uh, more seasons? Do we know we're getting more of it? I, I let's put it this way: this is this is such a compelling uh, story that I'm you know I'm I'm going to check the story out of the, out of the library. She won awards for the story. She's tr- from Toronto, um, and uh, she's probably done like five or six different books. I'm I'm I think this might be an author I might sort of dive into for a bit. Right? Yeah, sort of good in sort of a, a, a and it was it's just happened to be. Actually, it's, it's funny because it's on Crave now. Like the whole season's on Crave, and it's just starting to air on CTV. So, yeah, I just noticed that episode one was on CTV on my CTV app. And over to you, Jonathan, for your show. So I don't know what this H. I'm I'm kind of curious what this stands for. How I Met Your Father. Oh, that one. <laughs> so. I was thinking to myself, hmm, I wonder what's new this week. And I looked on uh, on some of the socials and people were saying, oh, How I Met Your Father debuted this week. And I thought, oh, it's on Hulu in the States. Okay. It'll probably be on Disney Plus here in Canada, as that is our conduit to Hulu content for the most part. Some of it gets uh, syndicated elsewhere, but that's where a lot of it is ending up. So I fired up my Disney Plus and took a look. And sure enough, there's nine seasons worth of How I Met Your mother no sign of how i met your father i thought that's peculiar i thought they said it came out this week so i looked it up and was let's just say mildly displeased to discover that uh in canada it will be airing here on on star through disney plus and it starts on march the 9th which is like a handful of days before the finale airs on hulu in the united states so, uh, in in the spirit of this snubbing, which is um, not uh, one of my favorite things that American networks feel the need to do, I am officially boycotting How I Met Your Father. I hope the show burns in a huge flaming pile of dog poo and dies. Because that's what deserves of shows that think that they can go on for two months on American programming without coming to international networks. That's absolutely despicable. That's a really weird one when it comes to the rights. I don't understand why they wouldn't yeah. want it everywhere, considering that nobody picked it up in the Canada. That's why. Like, that's that's what it comes down to. It's not. It's the buyers, whoever do, whoever's making the decision to buy the shows, they didn't pick it up. Yeah. So it's an exclusive piece of content. So put it on Disney Plus. It would make me watch their thing, which I'm already paying for. Like, I don't understand. They're gonna put it there. Two months from now, why not put it there now? Oh, I mean, oh, it's coming to Disney Plus yeah. for sure. It, they've already announced it. It's I, oh. I found it on socials. They have already announced it's coming to multiple international markets in different times. And where it's coming, it's coming to Star through Disney Plus on March the 9th. And I think March the 13th or 14th is the season finale on uh, Hulu. So this is just purely just, I don't know what. Like, it, they clearly... Do not prioritize our market. We already knew that. They clearly think again that we live in the past where I couldn't watch this somewhere else if I wanted to. Not that I would, but I could. I just find this kind of nonsense, especially, I mean, we're 2022 kids like Napster, no, Torrance, nothing, nobody. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, like when you look at the the what's it, the Simon Sinek um, curve. He's I forgot what they call it, but now, but he's got this curve where ten to fifteen percent of your audience will just watch it because, like you, it's on, right? Like they don't have to do any marketing, they don't have to do any like just put it out there, and people that percentage of people will watch it. Those are the people who are if they you know those are the people who are going to go and and source it somewhere else. Yes. Or right, because some of us are going to be pissed yeah. off and not watch it at all. Yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah. There, there is there is a likelihood of that, but the reality is, like you know, um, I mean, Hami's always going on about boycott, boycotting is the, the best way to to show you know, vote with your dollars. But I, I I have a feeling that that doesn't work because people will just find a way to to, to watch it. Sure. Right? They 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 don't think that boycotting is is a, a viable. Oh, and it's it's protest. just so nonsensical. Again, I am not by any means advocating that people do anything illegal. However, we do live in an era where the ability to watch out of market content is being made extremely easy. If you so chose, you could do that very easily. And if you are one of those people that is passionate about this, are you going to wait two months? And the inevitable 10,000 spoilers and clips that get put up on social media and, and, and like, go to hell. Just, just go to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like the, it's like the old days, you know, when you would get a Betamax to watch beta, beta films or, or, you know, you would get a European DVD player or a European, you know, uh, VHS. And so you could watch the films that weren't being made available anywhere, but in Europe. Right. Um, that happens, yep. you know, like like my neighborhood is littered with satellite dishes for for people who are watching shows that that aren't on conventional networks. Yep. Right? So, hmm. well, to cleanse my palate after that unfortunate discovery, I was pleased to see that one of the shows that is coming to Netflix, which we spoke about earlier, in February is something I very much enjoy, which is Matt Groening's Disenchantment is coming back for yeah, its, uh, I don't know if they're actually calling it a fourth season because they're kind of doing it in weird chunks, but uh, the next installment of, I believe, 10 episodes is coming to Netflix on February 9th. And uh, I find that show consistently entertaining. I think it's got a great cast. I think they're they're telling, you know, a, just a, like a slightly raunchier, a little more Futurama, a little less Simpsons kind of vibe uh, story. And um, yeah, and I like the characters. And there's lots and lots of good good voice actors on there. And yeah, that I'm I'm definitely in for. I will watch that for sure. And I'm happy that it's coming back uh, at that point. Um, yeah, and it, sorry, I meant to raise this earlier when we were talking about Moon Knight. So, Book of Boba Fett has three weeks left, right? Book of Boba Fett. So, yeah. mm-hmm. the 26th of January is going to be episode five. The 2nd of February is going to be episode six. And the 9th of February is the finale, episode seven. Moon Knight is now scheduled to come out on the 30th. So, there is one, two, three, four, five, six weeks unaccounted for as a gap in their schedule. And that's the first time in quite a while that there's been that kind of gap. Are we waiting for another shoe to drop or is there just nothing there? I was, I, I as I was looking around for what's coming on the ska- the calendar, I couldn't find anything else that was like the, the Marvel star Wars, something that's going to fill that gap on Disney plus for six weeks. Now I'm not going to go down on a limb here and say that Jaime's not going to cancel for those six weeks, but, but he could, yeah, I, I I definitely could break this streak there. What? Um, 
So maybe something else is is coming. Maybe there'll be another announcement in short order that will fill in that blank. But I find it really interesting that we've got three weeks left to go in Mando or Mando in Boba Fett, and then a six week gap, and then Moon Knight. And they've announced lots of other shows, but yeah, so far nothing is to fill that blank. Six weeks seems like a big gap, especially at a time where they've kind of got those captive audiences again. A lot of people are still at home. There is a you know resurgence with the new variants and the pandemic. You'd think you'd strike while the iron hot. Maybe there just isn't anything in the hopper to put out there. But that's a, that's a pretty long gap for for something that has been churning out material like Disney Plus. I'm gonna let that sit there for you guys. You can think about it. Mm-hmm. Trying to think if they could do. Um... Like Bad Batch season two is coming out in this year, I think. I thought it was kind of early in the year, but this this would be earlier than I think they were gonna do it. Well, I know. I, don't know. I, I wasn't sure which before they announced Moon Knight. I wasn't sure what we were gonna get first, Moon Knight or She Hulk, because it sounded like they were both, um, in, you know, in that close to period. I wouldn't be surprised if if She Hulk was the next thing, but it could be Bad Batch. Who knows? But yeah, I'm curious to see what might fill that space. Hard to say. I'm, I'm just I'm looking at the um, you know, there's a bunch of different websites right now. I'm, I'm looking at Parade Magazine just because it's the first thing that popped up, but nothing else is on the schedule right now in February. There's a making of the Eternals that's coming in mid February. Uh, there's a Mickey Mouse cartoon. Um, New Kids on the Block. Uh, no, sorry, the Proud Family. The Proud Family. Um. Yeah, like nothing of note. So let it's, that that's on Disney. Let though? that percolate. Yeah, the Disney Plus on Disney Plus. Yeah. Mighty Ducks Game Changer season two. No, nothing. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I could watch the Black Hole again. Ooh, now we're talking. Baby seals. Yeah. Anyway, I could watch Encanto. I do want to watch that. Actually, I've heard people. The a lot of people on social talking about the one musical number that's become very popular. We don't talk about somebody. I don't know. I mean, have you watched Encanto? I have. Yeah. What's the name of that number? We don't. Oh, we don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, that is like a runaway uh, hit. Apparently, very popular on the yeah biggest song since Let It Go. They're saying it's it's pretty catchy. Yeah, it's pretty catchy. Um, kind of wonder if some of that benefits from having like you know streaming access to see that sort of stuff because I I don't think Encanto is going to hit quite as hard in the 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 kids mainstream like i don't think you're gonna see tons of of kids at like halloween dressing up as the characters i'm not saying you won't see any but like frozen was just like a monster out there where like every little girl was dressed up as uh, as elsa right hmm. yeah and still are i still see pictures on my friend's social feed of their daughters dressed in uh anna and elsa costumes and stuff and it's been out for like what a decade yeah. Hmm. Cool. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find I'm you? I'm always on Twitter and Instagram. It's at JPK News. And how many people want to get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter. is at Dev of the Hair. All right. And as usual, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. 
If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future.